Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Ever dance with the devil in the pale light? I always ask out of all my prayers. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 19... 19- 89, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1989, here from the back of a piano store in 2021. That's where they did the auditions. I don't know if you remember the movie, Phil. Uh, Phil gave me a look like, that's not a place in this movie. Uh, having just watched no, the look, the look was because you... The look looks as you broke up a little bit and I couldn't hear what you were saying. Oh, because I don't have a microphone. My name is Kenny Nybert. I'm one of your hosts... And I'm Phyllis Cove. With us today is Joanna Robinson of Vanity Fair, senior writer, host of the Little Goldman podcast. Um, third time on the pod, second time with me, right? Yeah, that's it. Hello. So good to see you. Uh, so good to have you. Um, really thrilled that you're you're a regular guest of ours now. Uh, this is <laughs> this is a dream in, 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 its, in its own way. This is I mean, really like we used to. I think Phil and I sure. used to say it would be great to have Joanna Robinson on the podcast because we love your uh, perspective so much. And uh, and now now we just kind of ask you whenever we feel like it. What a what a boon for us. <laughs> Well, it's, yeah, it's lucky for me that you guys are just covering all the great stuff. Like, Phil sent me over a list of 1989 movies, and I couldn't decide because there were just all too many. And then he just threw one at me. I was like, yeah, that one. Sure. But any of them, obviously. So, yeah. This was, uh, you know, so Kenny has associated this film with me in the past. I've, I'm a big fan of this film. I've, I've, I've been a big sort of proponent of this movie. It's a hard movie to find, weirdly. It's not on any streaming places. The Blu-rays aren't in print. I had to buy a, a very expensive one on eBay. Um, and, I didn't and, realize that. 
Yeah, it's it's a I just I think it's a really special movie that in the research that I did uh, over the past couple of weeks on it has sort of proven how it was kind of this weird little movie at the time that didn't really get the love that it deserved. And I mean, Kenny, I know you had not seen it uh, prior to today, I believe. Um, and I know, Joanna, you, you mentioned that you hadn't watched it in a while, but I'm curious um, what you guys, you know, how to how, at first blush, Kenny, you know, what were your feelings on it? Well, I wanted to be the one to admit this really embarrassing fact <laughs> that I that I've never seen this movie. And uh, I kind of wanted to investigate a little bit um, mm-hmm. why why some movies pass us by, mm-hmm. because this seems this doesn't seem like a movie that I'll put it this way. Uh Everything about this movie, based on you know the the based on the the cast and the crew and the way it was presented and the way it was marketed, uh, it's not a it's 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 not a particularly off putting movie. Um, it's 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 an innocuous movie. It's an innocuous package, and it's not something that I should not have seen at some point. Is what I'm getting at. And yet, uh, this movie just never reached out and grabbed me and said, it's time to watch Fabulous Baker Boys until right now, until I bet you, Phil, and, you, <laughs> and you've been trumpeting it ever since we, um, we, we decided to do the 1989 podcast. So I knew I would watch it at some point. But, and and, and uh, you did put something out on Twitter, and all these people that we love and respect responded that they love this movie. So... Obviously, there was something there. I did not know what this movie was about. Love, the, the, the straight up, I did not know what this movie was about. I'd seen the stills of, of Michelle Pfeiffer, so I had a sense of what she did in this movie. Uh, I obviously knew the two brothers were playing brothers in this movie. Mm-hmm. But I had this weird thing like I thought that there might have been a third Bridges brother there. I I was like, am I, am I thinking Lloyd is the third Bridges? What is happening here? <laughs> um, but... Uh, First blush, I think this movie's a masterpiece. Um, I'm so upset I, did, I had never seen it before. I feel like um, there are a couple things that have particularly upset me about not having, having seen, not seen movie. it. <laughs> yeah, the, one is not having experienced it because it's a great movie, and I think I would have learned a lot from it. Two is I don't think I've ever been um, I've ever been qualified to talk about Michelle Pfeiffer before this moment. <laughs> I don't think yep. you could talk about Michelle Viper having not seen this movie. And I feel the same way about Jeff Bridges right now. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's very embarrassing. But um, <laughs> I didn't is, bring it up to embarrass you, just to be clear. It's a, well, hey, it's a fact, but it's a tremendous film. I, I loved it so much. I loved it so dearly. I will watch it over and over. It's the only movie that I've ever watched for one of our podcasts that in the middle I stopped and said to my wife, we're going to have to watch this together, which she's seen, but we're going to have to watch this together. This is a movie for us. Um, it's just, it's fantastic. So that's, that's my, my feeling. It's, I, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because uh, Kenny texted me at the beginning, about like 15 minutes into the film, he texted me and just said, bro. Yeah. That was the first text. And I was like, oh no. Like I, it could go either way. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like when you get you that, it, grow, it, you it could go know. either yeah, way. Yeah. Uh, so for a second there, and, and then and then he was like, how has this movie not been in my life? Like how have I lived my life without this movie in it? Um, and, and, and then, it, I mean, Kenny, uh, you know, Joanna, just so you know, Kenny's like a big Bob Fosse fan. He, I mean, oh, he, nice. he, he loves all of this sort of 
so this movie just felt like such a Kenny movie in terms of all the the standards and and the the way that sort of playing with all that stuff. I love um, musical numbers so yeah. and films. I, I deeply I love actors singing. I think that you know I mean seeing this movie, I felt. Um, and I love rom- I love romantic movies that aren't uh, that 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 aren't romantic comedies. And I know this is kind of a romantic comedy, which I like romantic comedies too. But I yeah. really like movies that wear their heart on their sleeve, and that's how I felt about this one. But uh, I think that we were. It's funny. I read about the movie after I mm-hmm. saw that they um, went to Madonna or thought about going to Madonna. They went to a it bunch felt, of people. Yeah, it felt like. Um, a movie you might think Madonna should play the lead character in, mm-hmm. but I feel like almost the opposite going back, which is every role that Madonna ever got should have been a Michelle Pfeiffer performance. <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, you know, like, like from who's that girl to league of their own mm-hmm. to breathless Mahoney, everyone should have been M- Michelle Pfeiffer and Madonna's ex- Madonna's Hollywood existence robbed us of like 10 other Michelle Pfeiffer performances that I think we should have had. But, so, so Joanna, you you mentioned before we got on mic that you hadn't seen this in a while, but that you right. remembered a lot of it, that it yeah. stuck with you. Right. Um, why do you think that is? I have a weird memory of seeing it in the theater, and that I would have been eight. So, but that would <laughs> I would not put put that past my mom, who like took me to see Jungle Fever. So, you know, okay. like okay. I. I, I think I saw this in the theater and then I think I probably saw it once more at home or something like that. But um, I just think and when I was watching it this time, there's so much about this movie that is about like the end of the 80s. And I'm excited to talk about that. And I'm sure that's like a lot of what your whole series is about. Yeah. But like um, it, it just is so it doesn't feel dated at all. I found myself like holding my breath and also blushing a lot. Oh, me too. <laughs> blushing so much because this is so like I, I I almost emailed you in the middle of watching it to be like I forgot how much of this movie is just about how you really want these two people to have sex like you really <laughs> are like oh my god and then also like fall in love and, and then not screw it up like have sex oh my god they have sex don't screw it up um, that's yeah. what this movie is and brother stuff and so you know yeah. something, <laughs> something for everyone yeah, that's, um, that, that's it that's a tab on Pornhub I have not clicked yet <laughs> <laughs> and brother stuff. Can I just say one thing though that you mentioned the blushing just for, just as a, as an aside. Uh, there's a moment in the movie at the uh, near the end they've had sex and she's looking at old photos in his apartment before he gets up in the morning mm-hmm. and he walks over to her and I was listening to the Steve Clovis commentary and Michelle Pfeiffer actually blushed in one take like she was able to actually like blush because of the feelings that she was having for him in that moment. And Steve Clovis was like, I would never have seen the blush had I been at Video Village. It's why I think every director should stand next to the camera whenever they're directing their actors. But I just love, like, that's how in this she was, that she actually blushed at him coming up to her. It's amazing. And you can't blame her. Like, we're going to talk a lot about (laughs) Michelle Pfeiffer, obviously. Roger Ebert's review was just one, like, horny like. Like, just all about Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. But um, I also read Janet Maslin's review in the New York Times, and she very rightly was, like, super horny for Jeff Bridges, yeah. who was like, I think this is the most attractive Jeff Bridges. Like, um, you saw me tweet about The Fisher I King did. this morning. I, I watched a couple Jeff Bridges movies around this movie to sort of see, like, mm-hmm. is this like the middle of the bullseye, most attractive Jeff Bridges and like alluring he ever is. And I think it is like, I think this is the peak because obviously he was like younger, fresher faced in some of his earlier stuff, which I've seen. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but there's something where like you can see the like you know how like Jeff Bridges eventually entered his like old coot phase and there he stayed and he's like doing great stuff in that phase. But you can see like the old coot coming like on his face. You can the see it coming, you know what I mean? And he's like, he's wearing this, this tuxedo. He's in the, yeah. for most of the movie, he's in a tuxedo, no tie, like slightly unshaven, rumpled hair. And it's just like the combination and he's so tall and you're just like, Jesus. Like I, I had a lot of thoughts and feelings I'll, about that. Michelle Pfeiffer as well, but like Bridges. Let's, making- let's talk about Jeff Bridges and his oh, and his yeah. masculinity and his attractiveness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But- Within the last two years, I've watched two older Bridges movies. Uh, maybe even within the last year, I watched Tron and I watched Starman. Mm-hmm. And I was struck in both those movies because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite a quite an old coot fan we're kind of struck by how beautiful this man is right yeah. like like in his younger yeah, yeah. in his younger days he's a beautiful man almost in that like not quite as not quite as 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 ridiculous as this but when you see those old pictures of christopher walken or if you even see christopher walken movies in the 70s and early 80s you're like Gee, where did this how did this who is like like yeah it makes no sense but but bridges has that similar thing where you know, and, and and even going back to the last picture show, like I mean, you know, I just Jeff Bridges was was born in Hollywood as a beautiful man, and then right around eighty nine, I would imagine, right around the time this movie came out, he started to get the lines on his face, and he started to have some have some wear and tear, and we got him right in that perfect sweet spot, I think. Yeah. Um, and. and I do. I think, you know, I think he was right around 40 when this movie came out. Um, I think he was playing 40. I think he was playing 39, 40, something like that. And this is as hot as Jeff Bridges gets. I, think I also think as like, hot as a man gets. Well, it's it's also like in, in concert with the Fisher King, it's kind of the coolest like like on a cool level of an effortlessness like he's i mean listen he's still cool in the contender and and i love him he's in the big lebowski cool. but like he's still a cool guy don't get me wrong but it's like there is that sort of um there's a a debonair kind of thing going on in this movie this very sort of like he's just he's sexy and he's cool and he knows it in a way that that I don't know, I, I don't think he's done before. But the fact that he's forty, uh, yeah. and and not that, that that that's that old at all, but like the it's it's he's a he's a man at the time of his life. This character yeah. where he can't coast the way he has his entire life, and that's just mm-hmm. at that turning point, and that's when he meets this woman, and that's like that's it's just a perfect like lightning in a bottle moment for an actor and for a role, and like Pfeiffer is astonishingly incredible in this movie, but like. Uh, and well, probably the most incredible she's ever been, but she's also she's just incredible all the time. Just, <laughs> incredible all the time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, f- why is this one of your favorite movies though? Like, what is? What is I it for mean, you? this is one of those films that, and Kenny and I have been talking about this. One of the reasons we were we're so excited to do this eighty nine Patreon, I think, is because um, it harkens back to a time when we were kids or younger, anyway, and we were watching movies the same movies kind of constantly like it's it was that time of like they were on tv a lot or you had the vhs and you were watching it a lot um and i was a kid who i just didn't for whatever reason i didn't sleep well so i would get up in the middle of the night and i would sneak into the tv room and i would put on a vhs of like basically 10 movies Mm -hmm. and this was just one of those movies this and like when harry met sally and die hard and lethal weapon 
say what you will about what that says about me, but these this was just one of those You're films. Studio that, kid. Yeah. <laughs> but this was just one of those films where like this and maybe this is, you know, Susie Diamond is just always been like that's the pinnacle. Like you're 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 never I mean like it's just she's the coolest. She doesn't give a fuck about you. She's just she's she just radiates charisma and talent and I mean we we tweeted a little bit about this uh Joanna but like she just what she does with a look or a drag of a cigarette in this movie incredible. is just is incredible. I've never wanted to smoke so much. <laughs> like watching this Smoking's movie. The <laughs> oh my god, her French cigarettes. Yeah, uh, it's, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And Phil, I mean, I know that we're we're cribbing from David Sims a little bit, but yeah, we, yeah. we really went on, you know, like only two weeks ago. Phil and I are just texting about you know life and love and all these things, and just how much we love Mean Girls, and. <laughs> He uh, he failed to tell me that I was about to watch a movie with the world's greatest meanie. She's <laughs> a real meanie. He's so mean, and I love it. I mean, and you know, by by mean, I obviously don't mean like cruel and yeah. you know, cr- like 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 out to hurt malicious, but mm-hmm. but just the way she walks in oh. to that first scene and treats them both like shit mm-hmm. when you know. Bo Bridges is trying his best to treat her like shit, <laughs> yeah. But he he just can't because he's just he's, he doesn't have mean running through his bones the way she does. And then to be to be, and I don't, I, I highly doubt my wife is gonna is gonna is gonna spend the money for the Patreon, so she'll never hear this. But to be loved by a mean girl <laughs> is like it's 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 a unique kind of love. I mean, I really you know. Well, it go and it goes both ways because, like, to be loved by a mean girl, I imagine, uh, it, you know, is a joy because you're like she's mean to everyone, but she oh, loves me. But you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's the same thing with with Jeff Bridges' character. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a stereo- it's a type that can be really frustrating, but in, in this role and this performance, that like he doesn't care about anything, but he cares about me. But what's great about <laughs> What's great about the Bridges role? Uh, his his character is Jack, right? Jack, yeah, Jack. Okay, the the Jack, you know, Jack has the dog, and he's got the the neighbor kid and yep. stuff like that. All this like stuff that he keeps under wraps. But like to Phil's earlier point, that like unreachability, that like he's he seems zoned out and barely there in so many scenes, and you know that that that's not Jeff Bridges doing a bad job. That's Jeff Bridges doing a great job. Yeah. Where Jack is just like trying so hard not to care yep. at all times. Uh, I mean, they I, have yeah. they have some scenes in this movie. I mean, I would argue all of their scenes when it's just the two of them are just knock them out of the park. Unbelievable. Imagine. Both of them are just unbelievable. Um, the scene that comes to mind uh, right now as we're talking is the scene where she's sitting on the end of the cab looking for her cigarettes. And it's the whole like French cigarettes thing. And... Uh, Eventually, she finds when she gets up, and he's like, "Do you want to get a cup of coffee?" And she's like, "It's like one a.m." And he's like, "Do you want me to walk you home?" And like, obviously, they both know what that means. And she's like, right. "You're not getting soft on me, are you?" Because it'll like the way that they play off of each other, the, their insecurities. Like, he kind of lets the guard down a little bit there, and she just kicks him in the face. <laughs> and it, it's just, and then he'll do the same to her when she lets her guard down later in the film. They're both such like jaded people about the idea of love i just it's it's tremendous 
It's why you want them together, but you're also like, these two can't possibly this make is this not, work. This is not going to go well. No. <laughs> I was kind of, you know, you, you get kind of nervous watching an older movie. Um, by that, I mean like anything older than three or four years ago. Uh, <laughs> where there's a character like Jeff Bridges who seems like, one, he may not take another character's feelings into account. And two, he may do things that uh, he may take things too far. Right. He may he may not respect her boundaries. He may. And there was um, that particular scene. Right. Where you want to get a cup of coffee is. It's half a code for you want to continue the night. Yeah. You wanted me to walk you home is about three quarters of code for <laughs> yeah. the night. Yeah. Um, but uh, he there was a tenderness to that that didn't seem like he was going to keep asking until the answer was yes. Mm-hmm. It seemed like he was going to keep asking until it was clear what he was, you know, asking. Right. And her response by saying, you know, I'm picking up what you're putting down and this isn't going to happen. Yeah. And him accepting it for just until she was willing to, to, to come back. Cause he never really asked again. No. It was dealt what I what I find over and over again with ninety nine movies and eighty nine movies is this idea that I think there's this idea that permeates culture now that you have to uh, critique movies based on the on the social attitudes and social mores of the time, mm-hmm. and it's truish. But the good movies don't fuck up in the ways that the bad movies do. That, right. Like, like the American beauties don't age well because, the, because, because <laughs> the, the attitudes and the characters and everything that goes on in that movie, yeah, are kind of disgusting, and they were disgusting at the time. But we've watched so many movies that aren't disgusting that treat their female characters with respect, that put their characters on an even playing field, that aren't about just simple objectification. Uh, this it just it just keeps reminding me that like treating people with respect. Is not a new idea, you know. It's, what it's I would, not I would hard either. I would also go. What's not? It was always good. <clears throat> I, sorry, Phil, cut you off. Yeah, yeah. It's always, it's always good. It, it, it really didn't come down to this idea of like we just never knew. Now, oh, oh, we're supposed to treat people nicely, and we're supposed to. Oh, we just never knew. Now we will. Good people who who who, who don't look at people, look at other people as just you know a some of their you know. Their, their particular characteristics and where they land on the social uh, hierarchy and treat them as such um, have never discriminated and have never used their privilege to, you know, put themselves higher than the other person. Uh, I, that's it. That's my entire rant. But, but it really is re- it really is refreshing and reassuring to see movies like this over and over again. So it's hard. Well, I, I, what I was going to say is, and, and I want to I kind of take it one step further too, not even just respecting uh, people, respecting the characters that you're writing. I mean, listening to mm. Steve Clovis talk about how the plan for him was always that Susie was essentially going to be a second act foil for the brothers and that she was going to only appear in the second act and then she was going to leave the film. And then as he kept writing, he she kept saying, no, 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 I'm not going anywhere. Like he respected the fact that he he had built this character who was so strong and so you know courageous whatever whatever word you want to associate with her that he couldn't 
possibly write her out of the film. It's why a lot of studio executives apparently wanted the film to end with the two brothers playing the piano. And he was like, no way. The movie has to end with Susie. It has to end with Susie and Jack. Like, there's just no question. Um, I mean, we'll talk a little bit about the development of this film because it's actually a lot more fascinating than I had any idea about. But oh, yeah. it's just sort of just in terms of we'll get into it. But I but I just think that it's it, it proves your point, Kenny, which is that it's you got to respect your characters, too. You got to know yeah, your you got to let them do what they got to do. And and if you start forcing them into certain directions because of whatever, it, 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 no good's going to come from it. But um, so let me just give a, a very brief synopsis uh, then, just for the, what, for the people that Joanne, haven't. Uh, any, did you want to respond? Oh, sorry, to that? Joanne. I didn't mean to. I mean no, to no, no, no. I want to. I'm curious about the impression. <laughs> uh, just a very brief synopsis and some context. Uh, Frank, play, uh, played by Bo Bridges, and Jack Baker, played by Jeff Bridges, are brothers who have performed together in a small but successful piano act for years. However, their lack of ambition hurts them, and they're beginning to lose gigs and soon are relegated to rundown venues. Attempting to infuse new life into their act, the brothers audition singers and choose the stunning Susie Diamond, played by Michelle Pfeiffer. The new lineup brings success, but a growing attraction between Susie. Susie and Jack threatens the trio's stability. The movie was written and directed by uh, Steve Clovis, who would later go on to adapt Wonder Boys and the very successful Harry Potter series. Um, Fabulous Baker Boys opened on October 13th, 1989 in sixth place with $3.3 million behind Look Who's Talking and Black Rain. It would go on to make $18.4 million on an $11.5 million budget. Uh, it has 96% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 70% from audiences. I'm going to read a brief portion of Roger Ebert's three and a half star review, which is d- downright horny on the main. But the I'll horniest thing I've, yeah. Uh, this is one of the movies that that they will use as a document years from now when they begin to trace the steps by which Michelle Pfeiffer became a great star. I cannot claim that I spotted her unique screen presence in her first movie, which I think was Grease 2, but certainly by the time she made Lady Hawk and Tequila Sunrise and Dangerous Liaison and Married to the Mob, something was going on. This is the movie of her flowering, not just as a beautiful woman, but as an actress with the ability to make you care about her, to make you feel what she feels. All of those qualities are here in the movie and so is the making whoopee number which i can only praise by adding it to a short list whatever she's doing while she performs that song isn't merely singing it's what what it's whatever rita hayward did in gilda or marilyn monroe did in some like it hot and i don't want her to stop um he gave it a very good review uh the av club gave a much uh better review quite frankly they said with humor that cuts through a deep undercurrent of sadness baker boys recaptures the rinky dinky milieu of second-rate lounges where patron kippensing threatens to drown out the piano tinkling of the pain entertainment a cinematographer michael ballas leads the film a boozy smoky glamour baker boys is a touching sly resonant look at the joy and the pain of collaboration and the way jaded souls cut themselves off from their emotions to keep heartache at bay but ultimately end up hurting each other all the same yeah. So, um, so much movie to talk about. <laughs> there's so much here. I'm yeah, like- it's it's. And can I just? I I just gotta say, there's so much to say about a movie that is very simple. Like this just goes to show, yeah. you do not need some fucking complicated plot. You don't need any of that shit when you've got three characters that you love and that you just want to go on a journey with. Everything else is moved. The power of the of having the actual brothers play the brothers of having like 
you know, Jeff's obviously like a bigger career, more conventional good looks, et cetera, inform this relationship between two brothers, one of whom is uh, like prodigiously talented at the piano and one of whom is fine. You know what I mean? And that's no slight to Bo Bridges, who I think is great in this movie and I love and everything that he does. But like that dynamic is here on the screen uh, between these guys. Apparently, um, I read in that article that you sent me, Phil, that like Bo took himself to the hospital after their fight because like Jeff just didn't stop because they were just brother fighting on the screen and it's like, brother all right. Fighting. You know, they were just like they're going for it. Um, it's something so, yeah. you can only do with brothers. Exactly. There's the power of that. And also, I like that idea of uh, this exploring the power of partnerships one of the best reviews and i can't remember who said it I, it might have been david or like i don't want to give him more credit than he deserves but um <laughs> the, the, i think he said described inside lewin davis which is a film that i have a complicated relationship with but eventually grew to absolutely adore when i started out not liking it um is he described it as like uh the cone brothers contemplating uh, a life without each other as like a creative partner because Inside Lone oh. Davis is about a man mourning the loss of his creative partner and how does he go on creating without that and um, and mm. and when you think about it that way like that that film has so much added power and so when you think about this film as like uh, brothers and and relationships and partnerships and I just don't think it has the same power obviously they didn't write it the thing themselves but I don't think it has that same power if you don't have that real you know love slash uh, resentment that I'm sure happens in any, you know, sibling duo that exists in the same professional field. What's interesting is that um, apparently Clovis didn't want to, right. to cast Bo Bridges. Um, Jeff was the one that just said, will you, will you just meet him? Like you don't have to cast him, but will you just meet him? And apparently they, <laughs> they made plans to go to Hugo's. Um, and he's, he was sitting in the window, Steve, and he saw Bo walk up the street and he's like, I, I knew it was him literally from the second he walked out. Like he was just like, I, I it, it has to be him. Yeah. Their 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 energy, um, and and just to follow up on the 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 fighting scene, he actually broke his finger. Um, oh, yeah. he, he actually broke his finger, and what Steve did to instigate the fight was he asked Bo about the fact that he turned down the lead role um, in Love Story. Bo and did. And he and he's never forgiven himself for turning down that role Aww. and what his career could have been had Aww. he done that. So Steve asked him about that and then Steve. said action. Oh. And then it was just like yeah, wow. Yeah. wow, what an asshole. That's that's a beautiful thing. I have a, a, I have a, a, a take on the Bo Jeff thing. Yeah. Which is um these two men these two characters and these two men. So these two characters and the actors who um, play them would not be believable to me if they weren't played by brothers. Um, they they couldn't feel more different, mm -hmm. if that makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the fact that these two men share the exact same face <laughs> and everything else is different, but the actual like chin to eyebrows are the exact same, um, really sells the idea that these guys are brothers mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and allows me to suspend my disbelief because the I, one interesting choice that they made that I think uh, another film would have made or almost any other film would have made is they didn't delve into their childhood at all. 
Um, this movie, and, and I think, Phil, we talked a little bit about it over text, but there are a lot of things this movie chose not to do yep. that I think other films would have done. One is, is in particular, a movie about siblings almost always deals with their childhood, their parents, yeah. and their shared history of trauma or abuse, uh, almost not, never lack thereof. It, oh, it's almost not even worth dealing with it if, if they haven't had um, traumatic childhoods in one way or another. Childhood, childhood Oh, there would childhood. absolutely have been a, a father or a mother that like, you know, forced them into the business in order to make money off of them. Or Get some shit Lloyd like in there, man. Lloyd met with Clovis and Clovis is like, that's not the guy. <laughs> like, sitting in Hugo's, he's like, ah, you don't fit. <laughs> the guy from Airplane? Come on. So, so, uh, so I think that, that just to kind of con- con- continue this point, so they didn't talk about their child, their childhoods, which I, you know, didn't miss at all. Made it, it shine the light on this relationship as, uh, between these two men as adults, which I think is really important. There is never any like movie I love, Gattaca, for instance, where it was you always beat me in the race. All I had to do was beat you in the race. You know, there was none of that thing. You know, you've always been better than me. You showed me up when we were 12 years old. I didn't need it. This is about two men as adults. Um, to your point about Susie Diamond and the fact that she was supposed to be an act two um, dilemma for these two, um, this movie very, I, I want to say smartly, but I, I almost feel like it was done so naturally organically. I don't even know what happened. It did away with the deliberation. And um, we've seen this in a few 89 movies now. We we did Major League last week and talked a lot about how Major League had no deliberation. How these guys, <laughs> just, they got the call and they showed up at spring training. Yeah. Um, they decided they were going to go with a singer. They met with the singers. They decided they were going to go with Susie and Susie <laughs> was there. Yeah. Let's move on with the plot. Deliberation <laughs> is the most yeah. overrated thing in storytelling. Um and then furthermore, because then I got all up in my Joseph Conrad mind here about it, the things they didn't do. There's no mentor, which is great. I don't need that shit. There's no yeah. mentor. But the things that they, which is great. I don't need it. I am very comfortable with seeing adults do adult things. And I do, not every story has to be a story of this is how we got here. This is how I learned my craft. These are the things that I had to grapple with in order to get here. I understand the way people become adults. I get it. And if you don't tell me, if you don't need to, if you don't tell me specific things that deviate from um, from from the normal, I'll just assume it's not important. And it wasn't in this movie. Um, the I, other thing that I do want to say, though, because there's just last thing, there's just some simple things they did do that are like screenwriting 101. So they gave him a dog. They <laughs> gave him a, a a nice neighbor girl. These things little orphan Annie, little orphan Nina. <laughs> they they did these things. That humanized yeah. the character who otherwise might seem a little too aloof, might seem a little yeah. too distant from, um, from from reality and humanity, and uh, you know that those little touches I do think helped a lot. There's a moment later in the movie I want to get to when we get there with him and Jennifer Tilly, which I think was a really interesting decision. Yes, but yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, so well, I think Joanna. The, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit because, and this this piggybacks on what Kenny's talking about, which is the bloat 
that we have seen in films over the last 20, 30 years, let's just say, where now I, I know a lot of it can be associated with set pieces and, and how action special effects and this, that, whatever are very expensive. So these sequences tend to stay in films when they don't we have a different theory, right, Phil? We, we probably do. But my, my, no, my other you have, have the same theory, but we have a different theory than that. It's just the uh, the money being spent. Well, I my, my I have another theory too, and I'm very curious, Joanna, on on your thoughts on this. I I believe that part of it has to do with people wanting to get more bang for their buck, and this fear that at fifteen, sixteen, sometimes twenty dollars to go see a movie, Not people feel like, yeah, people mm-hmm. feel like it was only ninety minutes. I only right. got ninety minutes worth of entertainment out of my twenty dollars. Like I left my house for this. Right. I mean, yeah, the I left my house for this is, um, you know, why you see a lot of things like, you know, only Avengers or only whatever being the thing that can get people out of their house these days. And I think that blur we when we talk about the death of the mid-level movie or the wane of the mid-level movie, isn't this exactly what we're talking about? This isn't this beautiful film precisely what we're talking about losing. And I was watching this movie and I was like, how does this movie get made now? How does this movie get made now? Either well, it's let's like figure super, it out. Super, <laughs> either, well, well, I was like, either it's a super low, 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 low budget indie that like very few people see, or it's a Netflix series actually yeah. rather than a movie. And if you do, when you were talking about this, like how we don't see the parents, how we don't get the backstory, how we don't even see like where Susie lives and stuff like that, um, I feel like if uh, you know, if this were made now, it would be. A Netflix series and each episode would open with like a cold open of like one of them as a kid and you see like some of that stuff and yada yada. Yeah. It's like the worst lessons yeah. from Lost. It, it would uh, suck. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. It would suck. No, it would, it, would, it, would, it would just be so bloated in a way that you don't need. That it is so simple and tight and like uh, perfect. And, and there are those things like the dog and the kid like that's kind of trite. That's like kind of like Hallmark shit. That's kind of trite, except it works really well here because it's just used very sparingly. You need that scene with him at the vet, like needing mm-hmm. to get his dog back. Like you need that uh, in order to uncrack that character. But it's not because, like, yeah, go ahead. Yep. It also, it, it, it also, you know, kind of speaks to his character deep down, which is anti-authority, which mm-hmm. is, you know, he's willing to kind of force his way into a room he's not supposed to be to be in. Um, you know, all for, and, and it's an interesting, it's an interesting character choice because he's not saving the dog for the dog's sake. He's saving the dog for his own sake, right? Absolutely. That dog is, that dog should have his teeth fixed. I um, think he does get his teeth fixed. Well, no, he takes him out before because he's, he's concerned that the dog might die. I think no. he takes him. He, I think he takes him after because he's like he's oh, drugged. He's, You're he's right. drugged, but he takes I him out. It's for himself. No, no, it is. I agree with you. He takes him out yeah, earlier yes. than he should have. Yes, yes, yes. Because he doesn't want to be alone, right? Um. So I want to talk, Judge. Get back to what you're talking about, Joanne, about how this gets made today. And yeah. first, I just want to identify why I think it doesn't get made today not just because we don't make movies like it we're not really willing to spend 12 to 20 million dollars on a movie even with movie stars um to some extent we are right to some extent these 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 movies do get made you know kevin hart makes 20 million dollar 30 million dollar movies you know you take away his thing and melissa mccarthy makes movies like this and seth rogan can make movies like like this but they're all um cynical and sad and no one has the guts to tell a straight story anymore. Yeah. And that's why I that's why I think it can't get made because 
you know, I remember, for instance, now, again, we're going back a long time, but for some reason it's cropped up on on Twitter recently for some reason. A movie like Larry Crown, if oh. you if you fail like they did with Larry Crown, yeah. you're a laughing stock. You're a yeah. laughing stock because you tried too hard. And we see it all the time, Jenna. You see more than anyone because a lot of these movies, Hillbilly Elegy right now, are movies that try to tell a straight story. And when you fail, you're a joke. Because you tried to be sincere, so that yeah, yeah the, the like, internet is is ruthless when it comes to like if you yeah, if you miss so it. Hollywood, yeah. dude, like so yeah. is Hollywood. Like yeah. you know, and we and we do it too, and we do it to original, you know, big budget sci fi too, which drives me completely fucking nuts. We destroy big budget sci fi that fails. Yeah. Um, because, we're doing it to Tenet right now, Be, and which is which is fine. I understand that, like, I understand that you have to be true to yourself, and if a movie sucks, go ahead and say that the movie sucks. But it has made people afraid to be sincere, and we're always and gonna original big, and original. Yes, yeah. and we're always going to have big budget movies because people are always going to try to feed this, you know, need for a spectacle. But we really have lost the mid budget romance, and I'm convinced it's because um, of cynicism, try and irony triumphing over sincerity and warmth. I, I would I, I agree with everything that, that Kenny's saying, and I and I would I would add to it something that has been you know I'm not adding anything new to this conversation necessarily, but movie stars aren't what they used to be. People right. don't go to see movies for movie stars. I would say they're afraid too. There, there's that too. I, I think that that you know what's interesting about this film, and and I want to talk a little bit about uh, its development and some of the casting decisions that thankfully didn't get made and all of that. But but part of me is also the release of this film. Um, the, literally, the studio had called Clovis the weekend that it opened and said, "We should have platformed this. We fucked up. We dumped it in 800 screens when it should have been on 15, and it should have slowly grown mm. because it's selling out in New York and LA, but no one's going to see this thing anywhere else in the country." Um, and and it was just sort of like an, a lack of understanding of what they had with this movie obviously michelle pfeiffer's so radiant in this film and it's such a star making performance that you know she gets the oscar nomination she loses to jessica tandy for driving miss daisy which is a whole other conversation but um but all that being said i just think that movie stars that idea there's just so few of them and we burn through them so quickly like when someone like there's some sort of an ascension when someone is like a star the internet will destroy them in like less than a year it feels like the last like movie star ascension that i think we'll see is jennifer lawrence <laughs> i was just gonna say right and and she's already been like she's been eviscerated yeah. yeah and she and and she only treaded water for so long because she's so cool yeah but like she she did to, i mean it's not her fault because it's no. what the internet does but the she set the bar so fucking high for everyone else because of how cool she was. Now, you not only have to be great in films, you have to be great on Fallon over and over and over again. And then you can't make any big, wild, weird decisions like Mother. And I, it's, it is fucking depressing. Though I do think that we're I, – I do think it's happening a little bit. Like Florence Pugh seems like a, like a movie star that we're going to get for a period of time. Um, Timothy Chalamet, I, I don't think he's going anywhere for a long time. But I so think I, that they're, I don't know that they're stars the way that we're used to talking about stars, which is okay. But like, if you talk, like, 
If you talk to the yeah, average person on the street, they don't know who Timothy Chalamet is, yeah. and uh, which is wild to me because I live on the internet and where he is king. You know what I mean? And so, like, <laughs> and, and, like <laughs> and like, same with Florence Pugh, right? Like, Florence yeah. Pugh is nominated for an Oscar. She's great in everything she does. Like, maybe now that she's going to be a Marvel actor, people will know her name. But yeah. like before that, like not necessarily. And so I think like you have to be a Marvel actor, which yes. is like but a bummer. I, but you know what I mean? But I also think what's interesting too is look at someone like Margot Robbie, right? You, you, she, she's, she's. People think okay, Harley Quinn, that's her, that's, that's her big role, right? But then she makes Birds of Prey, and it kind of doesn't do so well. Like it wasn't a flop by any means, and I hate that narrative. But like it also wasn't the gigantic, gigantic success that people thought it was. But she's, be. but she's a star. I, I mean, I would say, she is a star. I, I, I would say she's a star, and she's been a star who's been created in the last, you know, sure. five years. That's true. Um, and I think Adam Driver is a star who's been created in the last, you know, five years as well. Like, I do think that. I yeah, think but again, that, I don't think he becomes a household name until Star Wars. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I think Star Wars you know? made him the star. I yeah. think Star Wars. Yeah. And then I think, um, I think simply getting cast in Marriage Story. Yeah, I think sure. that there's something about being cast opposite and the equal to Scarlett Johansson will elevate a male sure. actor. Sure. Um, and so it, I think it happens. And I think, frankly, you know, Ma- Marriage Story is a very serious version of what I'm asking for more of. Right? I loved like, Marriage Story. I loved it too. Yeah. But, so, but you have to be Noah Baumbach. You have to come with like yeah. – you can't be a Steve Clovis who's never made a movie – who's never directed a movie before. And be one, willing right? to put yeah. it on Netflix and be willing, yeah. you know – and that's, you know, and that's, I, I, I mean, we loved it, but that's, that also got eviscerated by the internet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was, it was, it was mimified. It was mimified. But that was, Netflix tried to make it a meme though. That, that was, was on Netflix's them. fault. I hate <laughs> so, that that happened. It made me so mad. Cause like Mary story is one of my favorite movies that I saw last year. And like, I was so uh, frustrated by the memification, which then gave the wrong impression of the movie. So even then people who watched it, Sorry, we're off the point, but I no, it's, no, it's, no, it's true. It's true. Pour one out for Mary Story. I love that. On the show, Joanna, we have no format. <laughs> this is Patreon, so we really yeah. don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. The tangents are where we live, so please take us down that tangent. Oh, okay. I do. I do want to say something that does uh, speak to this, which is that this script hits Hollywood, whatever, and there is people recognize that Susie Diamond is a great role. Like actors want this role. So you have Deborah Winger, Jodie Foster, Jennifer Jason Lee, Madonna, all of these people are kind of put in contention for this. Um, I don't think any of them are right, particularly. The only one that I would be interested in seeing them do this is Jennifer Jason Lee. Right. And it would be I don't very know if you can say different, <laughs> but I'd be interested. Sure. <laughs> But it obviously goes to Michelle Pfeiffer, and, and and understandably so. But the other person, so George George Roy Hill was attached to direct this uh, about five years before it actually gets made, and he wants Whitney Houston to play Susie Diamond. This is right before Whitney Houston is blowing up. So this is like mid, like eighty four, eighty five, something like that. But he also wants to change the ending where they go to Vegas at the end and they become a big Vegas act. And Steve Clovis is like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't think you see the oh, same movie that I see. My friend, that's a bad ending, but you that's forgot, 
to actually cool read the script. Idea. Well, but here's the here's the problem with 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 Whitney Houston, and it's not what you think. Uh, it's it's that I I do think she's a solid enough actress to do this. Yeah, it's that I think she's too good of a singer. And here's what I'll say about Michelle Pfeiffer's voice, which I love in this movie. Mm-hmm. I and I'm a big Grease two fan, so like I sure. I'm, sure. I'm a fan of Michelle Pfeiffer singing. I'm a huge movie musical fan, Kenny. I would love to talk to you about movie musicals any day of the week, but mm. I think How about that. Today? Mich- Okay, Michelle shows up. <laughs> Michelle shows up, and her voice is good, but not great. And I love that for this role because uh, so much of it is like her stage presence, and so much of it is like the how she sings the songs, not just that she looks like a million bucks, but like that, like her her backstory informing the way she sings Ten Cents a Dance or whatever it is. You know what I mean? And then, um, but she's not so good that it's like ridiculous that she would be doing this with these boys. You know, I what think I mean? that's a really good point. Um, I, I think that that does make it. I think, you you know, this, she, literally, I think the week before she was an escort, right? And, you know, my response with Whitney is a bad one. And I'll tell you why. You can't, the, the idea, I, I think the idea would be, okay, so have her not sing so well, right? Have her put on the lounge singer thing. You can't really do that. Um, and I know, and not even because it's Whitney. I know that like from experience, because I work on Step Up, which is a dance show. Uh, you can't write these dancers to dance worse than they dance. <laughs> uh, and not just because they're not just because they're gonna be like, I won't do it. I will not be a bad dancer on the show. Because it's just impossible to be worse at that kind of performance art than you are. Um, you don't know how to be bad. It's like asking Michael Jordan to go out and like dribble off his foot. I don't think he would know how to do it. Right. So you're totally right that like, it's kind of important that the character is actually playing at the top of her game and the top of her game is lounge center. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. I also think to your, to your point, Joanna, which I think is interesting. Um, Clovis talks about how she, they recorded the, my funny Valentine that sings over the, that, that she sings over the credits. And so they go to the studio, they record it and he's in the booth. And he turns to the producer and he says, is she a good singer? Like, am I just, am I just like making this up in my head? Like, is she a good singer? And the producer's like, she doesn't have an incredible voice, but she's an amazing actor. Mm-hmm. And the synergy of those things together makes her such a good singer. Like you're, br- she's bringing so much to it. This, this brings me to a tangent that I now feel free to go on, uh, which is my very strong feelings about Meryl Streep and musicals um, in that Meryl Streep is probably on the level of Michelle Pfeiffer as a singer. Uh, she's not great. She's good. God, I'm uh, so happy you're doing this. And, <laughs> and, it, and it makes me really mad that Meryl Streep, who is – we all agree an incredible actress is the go-to for every single movie musical now when she's just simply fine and not great. And uh, yes, it it can, it can like her ability to act can float her through uh, Richard. and I were just talking about this, the end of um, the end of postcards on the edge when she sings heartbreak hotel. That's a great movie musical number. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that moment. I would argue the end of Ricky and the Flash is a great Ricky and the the Flash is a great one for her because once again, her voice matches like what she's doing there and even like, you know, I on you (laughs) (laughs) and like, 
like I like Mamma Mia, you sure, know, for sure. what it is. But like she's auto tuned to hell in that movie, as is everyone. So like what I loved hearing Michelle Pfeiffer sing in this movie is like she doesn't sound sweetened uh, digitally. She sounds uh, real, and and that makes it so strong. So. All right, and also I want to talk about Meryl Streep. You go ahead. I just have a very quick point to to just to, to to piggyback on what you're saying, Joanna, which is she also has a good enough voice that if that voice walks into that room and gives that audition, it blows the doors off the place, right? Like, these two guys are just like, this is the greatest we Well, especially after that, mo- that montage yeah. where they sure. listen to, like, the worst right. singers in all of Seattle, right. apparently. But, like, right. also walks in with that voice looking like Michelle Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with that attitude. I mean, yeah. it's so alluring. Yeah. So, uh, the Meryl Streep thing is, yeah. such, a, is such a great bugaboo. I think, <laughs> have, you, have you tweeted about it recently? I have. <laughs> it's a, it, is a, it is it is a great hill to die on, and I'll tell you why I think it's a great hill to die on. It's the right hill to die on. Thank you. If you if you cast Meryl Streep in particular, but a lot of actors who wind up getting cast in these movie musicals who don't have musical theater backgrounds, very few very few don't have musical theater backgrounds can play these roles the way they're supposed to be played. So if you cast Meryl Streep in particular or any of these other actors, what you're telling to me is you don't respect the material. Yes. You don't respect the material. You care more about the poster than the material. Right. And when you do that, you've already – look, I don't think, frankly, I don't think The Prom is a serious piece of work anyway. I think The Prom is is, is, – I do not I do not grieve The Prom. Correct. But I do grieve Mamma Mia, which I saw in the theater three times, which I think seems like a trifle, but is actually like a wonderful piece of theater that if you gave it to people who could actually sing those songs, which aren't easy songs to sing, it would have been amazing. And instead you made it a fucking mad, 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 mad world redux thing, right. you know, where like you've decided this is now a silly genre for people to come and hang out in Greece. And it's just, it's so unfair to the people who give their lives to this stuff for the chance to sure. actually, you know, have a shot at doing this kind of movie. I know it's not in any way the same as representation when it comes to gender and race and those kind of things, but there is something similar in terms of, you know, like very gay and very awkward Broadway being, being pushed aside when those roles are brought to Hollywood. Yeah. And I mean, this is, you know, it's not, it's not new, obviously in Hollywood, but it does, it does speak more to the risk averse, uh, you know, the things that you were talking about, but like, oh, you know, obviously we can go back and we can look at, you know, Julie Andrews being seen as not, um, you know, beautiful enough enough for My Fair Lady uh, and her winning the Oscar that year. I mean, you know, it's like one of the best, one of the best things that's ever happened. (laughs) Um, But like, uh, you know, or, or them dubbing Natalie Wood, you know, like Marty Nixon's whole career is them wanting to cast like, you know, telegenic actresses over like actual Broadway performers. But like, I just don't think you need to, I don't think Julie Andrews isn't pretty enough for that. You know what I mean? It's like, you're, you're just being unimaginative when, I'm sorry, you're being unimaginative when you cast Meryl Streep and and Emily Blunt and James Corden in every single um, musical. It's horrible. And the, and the notion of quote unquote, not pretty enough. I, I don't say this. Uh, I don't say this from the point of view of every woman is beautiful, which every woman is. That's not really the point of view. So much of stage acting is about the way you carry yourself. 
And you and 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 a person who is not classically beautiful or stereotypically beautiful transforms on stage if they are able to embody the role. I've seen actresses who I never would have thought were classically beautiful become the object of my desire for a night because the way because of the way they presented themselves in a stage musical. So the idea that Julie Andrews of all people who right. like went on to only play roles for beautiful women could not like be Eliza do a little it's insane. What um, speaking of unimaginative, uh, some of the <laughs> studio desires for the Baker Boys were also pretty unimaginative, or or actually just plain wrong. It's just a classically beautiful segue that you just. Used I tried. There. I, I tried. Love, I love how you got um, that, that 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 would be beautiful on any podcast. Yeah, conventionally um, attractive segue. Okay, go ahead. Uh, they wanted Bill Murray or Chevy Chase to play Jack, which is just absurd and bad uh mm-hmm. the the two that i think are is laughably crazy don't worry would have been fine sorry <laughs> i mean it's, it's a maybe but i don't know i, I don't about know when he plays the the piano in in uh groundhog day you don't find him attractive in that yes i do <laughs> thank you Okay, uh, I, I'd say the most the most ridiculous I think is that they went to Dennis and Randy Quaid to play the Baker Brothers. Oh my God! But which for which? Like Randy for oh. Jack? No, 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 no. no, no. Okay. Dennis, Dennis would play Jack. Jack. Yeah. Randy would play Frank. Randy, ever... Randy is the younger, right? Randy's the crazy one. Randy's I mean, I know, one. I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, be- I I believe that that was the plan. Again, I don't know. All I- oh wait, hold on. It, it just says Jack and, and Frank, so it doesn't say. Who. How did they play? Have they played brothers in another movie? I'm sure they have. I can't think of. it. I'm better. sure they have. I, I, I. It's just it's such a drastically dissimilar brotherly yeah. feeling from these no two guys. No one's bringing the right energy. Is this, <laughs> no. is this the best brothers playing brothers movie that you can think of, or think sisters, playing sisters or siblings playing siblings? Oh, that's a good question. I'm trying. I to feel think. like there's others, right? I mean, now we need no, now. Okay, now on, do we need look. do I'll we need to up. remake this movie? Don't get mad yet. Do we need to remake this movie? <laughs> <laughs> Don't get mad yet. Don't get mad yet. Yeah, okay. with Chris and Luke Hemsworth. <laughs> Brother, is that Luke? something? Uh, Luke, Luke is the one who doesn't get a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I love great. him on what he's great on Westworld. He's fantastic on that, but like. He's the least uh, working of the Helmsworth brothers. Yes, yes. He's the one who wasn't created in a lot. What about the What right. about the Wilson brothers? Oh, oh, Bottle Rocket would be. What a, about the be, the Wilson wait, brothers? But like, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know who I would put in which role. I don't know who's Jack and who's Frank yeah. in that equation. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, I would I would go back. But they to, play great brothers. Yes. Yeah, or they play not great brothers in World Tenenbaum, which always I always am kind of tickled yes. with the fact that it's about a family. That they're not and brothers. Oh, <laughs> yeah. it's not actually a brother. But I um, I, I uh, go back to kind of my original you know thought about this movie, which is I I think that these characters are only this way because be, I think and I might be wrong, but because Jeff and Bo are this way. Right. That this is it because it, it does have kind of almost. I recently watched uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles as I do every Thanksgiving, and it does have a very similar kind of Steve Martin, John Candy vibe. It has a similar, like, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a kind of an alpha male and a schlub vibe that I think could have been fulfilled by a lot of actors in the 80s. I think, you know, you could have subbed out Bo Bridges for 
Dan Aykroyd in two seconds. You could have sub. Like, I think these are people that could have gone into that role. So I think there might have been a, a world mm-hmm. where you just do a slightly different kind of movie with Owen Wilson as Jack and, and Luke as Frank, um, potentially. I don't think Luke could have pulled off Jack, but that's just my feeling. Um, and it, it would have been totally different, but there might have been a movie there. But then my fear is that the Susie Diamond in that equation is Emma Stone or something like that, right? Or Jennifer well. Lawrence. <laughs> yeah. Jennifer, it's so funny because Jennifer Lawrence, I would see, I, I would, I would see the movie, and I, you would and I would not. So, or are you like, a, are you, or is this no. like a big no for no. Emma Stone for you? No, not at all. I love Emma Stone. Oh. I mean, and I did like. I, it's funny, you know, like I, I didn't like La La Land until it lost. Then I felt like I can like it again. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's like you know. Yeah. And now it's like when it was probably the first like grown up movie I watched with my kids, and that's my favorite song in it. Her audition is like that's that to me. That's a wonderful song. She's a great singer, and she gave a really, really kind of winning she's performance. Good I think she's, she's really good. I think Ryan Gosling's really bad, but uh, she gave a, a winning performance in that movie. Yeah. I so I'm I'm into Emma Stone, but I don't want to see her as Susie Time. But what about Margot Rob- Margot Robbie? Is Margot uh, Robbie any, anything? Yeah. <laughs> but like, but the thing that I love about Susie, okay, so we all yes. agree that like Michelle Pfeiffer, we agree with Roger yes. Ebert that Michelle Pfeiffer is like could melt your face off. She's so like yeah. gorgeous and alluring in this film. Yeah. We all agree. At the same time. Uh, they make her hair very messy through the whole movie, even when she's like stage ready, yeah. and it sort of matches the like scruff on on Jack, and it's just like it's kind of a perfect thing where she's like she's so gorgeous, but she's also just incredibly messy. She's yeah, got this yeah. enormous bag that like you just know yeah. that there's just like crumpled tissue and like all and like loose cigarette tobacco on the bottom of it and like stuff like that. You know, she's just got like this yeah. real mess. Uh, you know. She's she's definitely got this, like, she apparently, Michelle Pfeiffer, there were two or three scenes that she has no makeup. Of course, she (laughs) still looks stunning, but, like, no makeup on. She relished the opportunity to look messy whenever she could. Like, that was part of this role. Right. Um, On some level, at least what Clovis says, like, she, I don't want to, he doesn't want to say that she hates her good looks because she's not obviously you know, whatever. But like, there is something about the fact that when you are that beautiful, people don't take you as seriously as they should. Sometimes. Yeah. It's like the Brad Pitt thing too, where it's just sort yeah. of like, uh, you can, you can be aware of all the opportunities that being that attractive brings you and also be frustrated that like, maybe you don't mm-hmm. aren't taken seriously. Cause I think both Michelle Pfeiffer and Brad Pitt are, you know, would be incredible performers if they did not have those faces, but they do have those faces. But they so. do have those faces. Yeah. I, I, she is, I mean, uh, again, just to sort of, she could have been a silent movie actress as well. Like she, she can convey so much with just a look. And this movie, obviously, you know, she's she's tremendous in it. I think she should have won Best Actress for this role. I mean, Jessica Tandy is fine in Driving Miss Daisy, but like I look at that nomination and it's just like it should have been her. But whatever. Well, the, the Driving Miss Daisy thing is just like one of those Oscar years where like. You're like, okay, you felt like you were really doing something. And in doing so, you really did not make your best choices. But you felt good about it at the time. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying uh, to see who else was in. I I, I think it's also interesting to. Sorry. Well, you know, I mean. Best actress, 1989. Yeah, it's. it's, 
it's Isabel, actually yeah. it's three other actresses that I had never heard of the movies they were in, and two of them I had never heard of the actresses. Correct. Yeah. I agree. Jessica um, Lang is the only one. <laughs> yeah, Jessica Lang, but I never heard of the movie she was in. Yeah. Um, I you know, Jenna, I've been making my uh my Oscar predictions on this podcast the last couple of years, um, having not seen 80% of the movies, I'd say. That's fun. Um, it is fun, actually. I love it. And I thought you might appreciate it because I've, uh, you know, I've given over to the idea that the movies don't actually matter, that seeing the movies almost hurt my ability to prognosticate <laughs> because I start true. to get... I start to, you know, I start, yeah, I start to actually care and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, want my favorites to win when it's all narrative. Caring is and a loser's game at the Oscars. Caring is, I know. It's the only thing I'm Gen X about. Caring is, is a loser's game at the Oscars and it's the most important thing everywhere else. But, um, I just think, yeah, to like, uh, Oscars have always been about narrative. Do you listen to the best pick bot? Sometimes, yeah. But they're like our dress, direct competition. So, like, you know, sometimes you're like, hmm. I just listen to both you guys. I love you guys. Both. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. I can, you know, I can surf and skate. So, um, so. Sometimes uh, they're a little like, they're a little uh, Jeff to our bow. You know what I mean? And then you just feel like a little. They're a little, little. your Jeff. Oh, thanks. There's not even a question about that. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and I think they're great. And I think they're, I think they're, I truly, I think they're fantastic, but like they are dry as a bone, except just Reagan. <laughs> um, so point being, it's all about narrative. You know, it's always, always been about narrative since the beginning. There's been the makeup Oscars have been the this is her time. Jessica Tandy, it was her time. It was the narrative. It was the yeah. right movie at the right time for these boring people. Um, and then, you know, then you know, within a couple of years, they were giving it to Unforgiven and Silence of the Lambs, and we were doing exciting things again. And then they did boring things again. And I, I don't get, I, I don't. What's it? Uh, what? What? Not watching the movies has afforded me because again, I only really like the horse race. Is uh, is I don't get so emotionally attached anymore, and I think it might be. It's more fun for like me. To be like, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer should have won. Like they made a mistake, and I'm happy she was no. I'm happy she was nominated, but they made a mistake. And and going back 21 years, 31 years now, um, it's exciting to see that. Yes, we were right. You were wrong. I, I think also that you know, Kenny and I have talked about this, and and I'm very curious about your thoughts on this as well, Joanna. Which is the people that chase Oscars, like people that take roles in the hopes of winning an Oscar, right? And you can see it in filmographies of. I'm going to do this because it looks like it could be. An, I mean, we, we literally, uh, the other day we recorded an episode on At First Sight, the Val Kilmer blind. Uh, with oh, me. yeah. You're, and you're just like, he definitely thought he was going to get an Oscar nomination for that role. And of course it Doesn't didn't he play a massage him, therapist in that film? Yes, he, he did. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it, but which, what, the reason people... <laughs> the reason I bring it up is because it does feel like Michelle Pfeiffer chases some Oscars for a while. Like there's a lot of roles oh, that yeah. are kind of like, you know, if it's your white oleanders or your deep ends of the ocean or even story of us, which I think on some level probably was maybe an Oscar hope. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a shame because it feels like she's got some unbelievable performances and she's still one of my favorites, but I do wish that the prime of her career had been perhaps focused on movies that were just a little more interesting and a little less kind of down the middle. 
You want more Witches of Eastwick. I want more Witches. I want more Batman Returns. <laughs> I want more like, you, you know. Batman Returns. I was just, okay. So I was just, uh, Batman Returns is my favorite Batman movie. And Same. I was just. This is why I like you, Joanna. This is one of the many reasons why I like you. <laughs> I was just watching it with like a bunch of people who are my age. One of whom had never seen it over Zoom. Socially distant. Yeah. Uh, safe, safe and sound. And, um. One of them is a huge Batman fan and he's like, oh, I've never really liked Batman Returns, but I haven't revisited it in a while. And I'm like, I just don't understand how you, I mean, like, it's it's a little long. I will give him that. But I was like, I just don't see how you, like, Michelle Pfeiffer in this movie <laughs> is the most astonishing thing I've seen in any movie ever. As certainly any comic book movie. No comic book villain or antihero or whatever you want to call it has matched what she's doing in this movie. It is a crime on earth that there aren't like three Catwoman movies, uh, at least. Uh, not that I only, not that I want people stuck in their superhero roles, but like her yeah, Selena good. Kyle is just like amazing. And and then we watched it, and he was still sort Perfection. of like eh. And I was like, I don't understand you. Like I He's, don't get how you your don't. Your friend see is me. your friend is wrong and bad, and should not be your friend anymore. Your friend is I wrong. Too uh, I, I too I too am crazy. <laughs> I too am crazy about Batman Returns. I'm not as crazy as Phil, but only because uh, I I think that I think the penguin is like yeah 85% of the way there. I think there's yeah. so much good stuff there. I think he's such an interesting backstory, but it's not um it's not like my favorite Batman villain. E- it, even within that first run of four, it's not probably not even top half, frankly. But she is so incredible. So and good. the scene between her and Michael. Keaton are yeah. electric. Yeah, you want to talk about blushing? Like, oh. oh my god! <laughs> but oh. I, I mean, <laughs> just just to be very clear, like between Susie Diamond and Selena Kyle, if she'd never made another movie again, I'd be yeah. fine. Like those are those are two of just Iconic. my favorite performances ever. I'm I'm certainly not saying that I don't want more movies from Michelle Pfeiffer. This is just a perfect example of imagine how excited I was for What Lies Beneath, mm. and the fact that I was like, okay. She's back. She's with Harrison Ford and Robert Zemeckis in like a Hitchcockian movie. And I like yeah. what lies beneath. What? <laughs> I like I, I like <laughs> what lies beneath just fine. But I was so desperate for her to like come back and just be this incredible. And she's I, I just I just don't know that like she ever really seized a role like she did in the in the you know late 80s, uh, early 90s. Yeah, I will give it to uh I think she's this incredible <laughs> in Stardust, which is a movie that oh, right. is course, pretty Stardust. shaggy, but she's giving two thousand percent uh to her role in Stardust. Um yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh I just one last thing I want to say about <laughs> Batman Returns. Please is that if you ever watch it with me, it's like it's like watching Lord of the Rings with like the most obnoxious Tolkien oh, bro. I'll to be like, I'm like, <laughs> do you know she actually put a bird in her mouth for the scene? Do you know she actually was the one who whipped the heads off the mannequin for the scene? Like, I'm all like, right. I any I so Michelle much. Pfeiffer factoid I can shove at you. <laughs> and I, right, what I just realized, okay, so this is my second time on the podcast with all three of you. Mm. This nurse, we talked about Michelle Pfeiffer movie last time. The it's right. We talked about uh, Midsummer. So I am you now your Pfeiffer. Ex- I'm I'm your Pfeiffer expert now. Yes. And so That's you do any other? Me. We do. We got deep into the ocean, so you, you better prepare to talk about that. Think I think I'm talking to the two biggest Pfeiffer heads I know. <laughs> um, I want to. I want to dissect. I want to jump a little bit clear because a little bit further into her career because I do feel like we're saying the same things, but I want to yeah. you know make make it clear. 
I think that it wasn't until I was much older, like like very recent, that uh, I realized that Michelle Pfeiffer put it this way: Hollywood has a tendency to put their beautiful women into uh, into boxes, beautiful women who can act and beautiful women who can't act, mm-hmm. and sometimes. A beautiful woman who, quote unquote, can't act proves that she is a beautiful woman who can act and moves over to the other box that happened with Charlize Theron, that happened with Margot Robbie, that happened with Halle Berry to some extent. But sometimes they get kept in that first box where they, quote unquote, can't act like uh, Denise Richards never got out of that first box. Right. And or Sharon, uh, Shannon Elizabeth. And then they wound up doing things like being, you know, fake Bond girls or actual Bond girls in movies where they just, you know, were, were objectified. Mm-hmm. Um, Heather Graham was probably another girl who they decided she can't act. I thought that Hollywood had put Michelle Pfeiffer into the into the she can't act category, um, and I thought every time she was trying to to quote unquote mm-hmm. chase an Oscar, it really was just a person trying to prove that she can act uh, who couldn't act and. I never thought she couldn't act, but I thought that, you know, Catwoman was kind of this thing that fluke or like lightning striking or like, or like a comic movie that Hollywood said didn't count. You know, like I see what you did. It doesn't really count because it's, uh, it's, and, and I know you got that nomination in, um, you know, 1989, but like, you know, people get nominations here and there. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of the way Sharon Stone was treated, you know, where Sharon Stone. Well, I think, I think that. I, I, Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I, she so she she was nominated for Dangerous Liaisons before she was nominated for this eighty seven. Yeah, yeah. So like, I think being nominated for an Oscar twice, but there is something weird that happened to her in the '90s, and I can't really explain it. And I agree with you, Phil. It's like yeah. I don't know that it was necessarily like Hollywood wouldn't let her out of that box, or she was defiantly trying to fight her way out of that box. I just feel like she made a lot of like weird, bad choices, and I don't know. Like, but she I, I think someone that reading scripts for her, I don't know. You know, well, like I think that Age of Innocence. It's mm. just, it's interesting casting. Like, I, I don't think that she's necessarily badly cast in the film. I think that, I actually really like that film, but I understand why that film was not a big Oscar player in 93. Um, you know, I, I understand why Winona Ryder is the one that, that gets the nomination for that film. Um, but then, like, she does Wolf, which is a big hit, even though it's a weird-ass movie, and I'm not really is sure it, why. Was it a big hit? Yeah, made money. Oh, I believe it. I just, I didn't know. You I know? thought Wolf was just like a real misfire. And then but. Dangerous Minds makes a lot of money. Like, that's a big hit for her. And that's and a big hit for her. You know, and then like Up Close and Personal to Jillian on her 37th birthday, One Fine Day, like Deep End of the Ocean, Story that's of Us. That's where she lived. That's where she lived when I was like actually right. growing up and becoming yeah. a fave. Lived in yeah. these movies that were these like, these, these, these moving paintings to some extent. Yep. yep. I don't dislike those movies. I know some people think those movies are terrible. I don't dislike them, but I felt like it it, it felt like every time she tried to, you know, quote unquote, chase an Oscar or something, it felt like some director was trying to make Michelle Pfeiffer happen. The way. Yeah, I I don't disagree, but I also feel like what we're also sensing a little bit is someone who wants to push the boundaries of how people perceive her but not too much. Like it's, it's this idea of like, that's, you know, you, you play the quote unquote murderer in white Oleander because you want people to think of you outside this sort of like, 
romantic kind of rom-com, you know, one fine day sort of situation. You play the lawyer in I Am Sam, I guess, for whatever reason is anyone's guess, but you do that. Right. Uh, but then, like, she's in Hairspray. She's in Stardust. Um, that's and- that's a different phase of her career. I feel yes. like once she's, like, 2007 yeah. when she does Hairspray and Stardust and yeah. everything after, yeah. there is, you know, she's still obviously so gorgeous, but she's, yeah. like, older and gorgeous and Hollywood treats older gorgeous women differently. And then she gets to, like, she's, she's keyed into sort of, like, this weird, like, camp alley yes. sort yeah. of thing where she's going, like, a bit bar. She's always in a really talented comedic actress. She's funny in this movie. She's funny in Married to the Mob. She's funny yeah. in, like, a lot of things. But, like, I just think that, like, sort of can't be over the top like i haven't actually seen the maleficent sequel but i imagine it is i I hear i I hear she's funny i'm sure it's like really fun for exactly what she's doing in it you know and dark shadows is another example of her like playing camp and going that movie is what that movie is and even mother even i was just saying she's great in mother (laughs) she should have got an oscar nomination for mother she's fucking great in that movie jenna you're really hitting on what i what i think i picked up on the last like four or five years which is you know film twitter that the, the people i follow which tend to be you know mostly lgbtq and women mm-hmm. um have have taken up the mantle of michelle pfeiffer as more than just a pretty face actually if i remember correctly i'm speaking as you know this group of film tutor people for a whole if i remember correctly like she's giving me so much she gave me so much incredible memories as a child that informed who i am today put her in these fun roles and let her be fun and i think that's kind of what has happened now? Now, what's interesting is it doesn't seem like it happened with French Exit, but it seemed like people were ready for it to happen, right? I think it's going to happen with French Exit. You think she is going to get nominated and she is going to win? I think she win? gets a nomination for French Exit. It seems like it came and went. What do you think, Jenna? It hasn't been released yet. Well, it seems like the buzz came and went, Phil. I don't see the movies. I only monitor <laughs> the it, it is only It's only played at the New York Festival, if I'm not mistaken, Joanna. I believe it had one... It's only it has only been seen once, and I don't believe that a lot of critics chimed in on that. It's right. coming out in February. in February. Yeah, that's no when one needs to see the movies to to, to make this. To, 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 it's, You're right I'm that there are facts here. Here's well, but I, I appreciate will, the facts. Thank I, you, I will agree with the buzzometer that it is at a, like a five to zero right now. Mm-hmm. But also, this is just the weirdest uh, <laughs> award. Yeah, anything season. can happen. Anything can happen if this comes out in February and it's a thing. You know, like, um, actually, I need to like relook at the nomination schedule and stuff like that. But like, the nomination schedule is so often it's, weird. It's out to like, April now, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Well, right. yeah, that's when the. No, I think it's anyway. February, and I think that the, the the show is in April. But I, I, the I, mean, in April, I, yeah. I think as of this moment, the movie that's the movie that is, and we're recording this in December, and this is not probably not going to drop until. January. So at this moment right now, it's Ma Rainey, Ma Rainey, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Yes. Has all Phil, you're acting as if I, I th- th- this is what I do. I could see. He listens this. to two Bridges Brothers to podcasts. All right. So I Ma Rainey's <laughs> Black Bottom right now is the movie that has all the buzz on both acting, both lead acting categories, and you will not even find Michelle Pfeiffer's name when talking about it. Um, another, I mean, just just. Anecdotally, and this movie was did air, but anecdotally, uh, the Rashida Jones movie, you know, kind of came and went as well. But people yeah. thought Sofia Sokopla, uh I, I even forgot what it was called. On that the rocks. movie on the rocks. On the rocks, yeah. another movie that I felt like, you know, going into this year had a real chance, 
but the buzz just subsides. Whereas I'm I, gonna, like, I, I, I just my my point more than anything is I, I tend to agree with Joanna that this year might not be the year that you can go by the quote unquote buzz that you're like. I just think this year is is atypical in every way, shape, or form, and I don't think that you're going to be able to glean the nominees just based on except for Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. Yes. You never can you never can glean nominations based on anything three months out. I'm just giving you a snapshot of where we are right now. And where we are right now is French exit in the fall felt like something that people were very excited to uh to see and give her a nomination. And now it feels like to me at least this Chadwick Boseman moment Mm-hmm. That is going to include the Five Bloods and Ma Rainey mm-hmm. is going to kind of eclipse a lot of the other stuff that's happening. Well, that's got, what it seems will, like right now. We are recording on Mank Weekend also, or right after we Mank are, Weekend. Which we're not talking about because have, that movie has, has I think, has have, been hurt. And happy, have you seen it? Happy Mank no. Day. But like, You're um, crazy. I don't want to watch these movies. Uh, I, I say that that puts Amanda Seyfried in the uh, supporting. Yeah, she's definitely in the category. Yeah. Although I was not a big fan of Mank, but that's it. Seems I wasn't like a huge Mank. fan of Mank, but when she shows up, it like you're yeah. like, oh, I will definitely see Mank because I love Citizen Kane and I love movies, and I will see it at some point in my life. Yeah, but if you if you if you don't watch Mank, I think you're not allowed to say you like movies. Yeah, you no, know, I will. Like, I will definitely you'll, see it, but you'll be laughed uh, off I the face what I can. I, I just, <laughs> I'll just say this to 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 bring us back to Michelle Pfeiffer and to 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 round out this Oscar Buzz twenty twenty portion of the fabulous <laughs> paper episode. Um, is that I think that to your point, Kenny, people want to anoint. They want to give Michelle Pfeiffer. The, the, they would love to see Michelle Pfeiffer come back into oh, the zeitgeist. And they would love for that to happen. And there's a reason for that. I think it's what, what we're all talking about, which is she's had a hell of a career. Hopefully she's got many more great films to come out. And it all kind of starts here in the sense of her becoming a leading lady. She's in movies before this, obviously. She's in Witches of Eastwick. Um, she's in a bunch of... of lady of, Hawk. Lady Hawk. Yeah, she's in a bunch of things. Um, but this is the movie that puts her on the map, and understandably so. Uh, I think it's also interesting. There were a couple things that that I read about. That first and foremost was that apparently Michelle Pfeiffer gave Steve Clovis the script for Thelma and Louise for him to direct for her to be in as the thing they do after Baker Boys. Now I don't necessarily know that I want that movie because I love the movie that we got, and I'm not in any way suggesting that I don't. But Michelle Pfeiffer in Thelma and Louise is is something that perhaps I would have liked to have seen. I think she could have done it. Yeah. This is I the would, only thing I, I don't like. I would think it from Gina, but I think she could have done it. Okay, go this ahead. This is the only thing I don't like about movies versus theater. <laughs> <laughs> there, Thelma and Louise is the kind of piece that mm-hmm. it would be really cool to see different people yeah. do over yeah. and yeah. over again and interpret those roles Yes, and yes. you just don't do that with movies because oh, kind of like Fabulous Baker Boys, actually, mm-hmm. it would be really cool to see other people play the Baker Boys and other people play Susie Diamond. But people won't do that because of, you know, for you know various reasons. Everyone knows why we don't re- we remake classic movies like this. But, it, you know, I mean, I got to see I got to see Brian Dennehy in uh, in Death of a Salesman, which you just 
You yeah. would never, you know, you get to see Brian Denny that that assist, but you'd never get to see anybody else in on the waterfront. Um yeah. only but you get to see other people in streetcar. So it's only it's it's just a matter of where it was born, which which means that this is it forever with Thelma Louise. But I couldn't because I think she'd be amazing. Yeah. Right? I think she'd be amazing in those roles. She fucking kill it. Either one of them. So But that's that's why, yeah, you're right, because in films it has to be an either or. Like in order to make Michelle fight for her, uh, Thelma and Louise, I have to blink out of existence. The Gina Davis one, like I'm, I imagine she would be in the Gina Davis role, and I, I don't want to take that away from my life. So, but yeah, and it's funny. I, I'm, I'm, I love that you keep bringing up theater because this film is such a theater film. Like yes. it's a, it's a three hander essentially, and Jennifer Tilly's there too. You know what I mean? And it's like you could so easily do this on the stage. In fact, yeah. I think they should. They should do this. What's That's actually a is, great idea. What sucks yes. is, and I totally agree, and they should. But what sucks is there's such a stigma against film yeah. to, to to theater, stage. film yeah. to stage adaptations. Like people, the only one that kind of has like had a life that I could think of is The Graduate, which still even like feels like network. Uh, Once. Network, you're right. Network just did, and then there are ones that become musicals, which I don't yeah. even think really count. Um, because those this are is clearly- already a musical is the thing. You know what I mean? Like you yeah, don't have like- to like onceify it or whatever. Yeah. True. Or like, didn't they didn't they they try to make a musical out of Rocky, didn't they? My goodness. So many things. So many things. <laughs> because, because, because oh, they, no. these things make sense, right? It makes sense to like, you know, put some songs in something that already has a song like Guy the Tiger or whatever. Oh. But there's such a stigma, it's so hard for them to actually be good. Yeah. Um, but this is a great this would be a great one. I do um there's there's really not much of a plot here, but let's just kind of bounce through it relatively quickly because sure. there's really just not that much that it is sort of essentially we open with Jack. He's had a one night stand with this woman. Uh, there's a great sort of back and forth that they have where you know she he's like she's like where are you going and he just says job <laughs> like he, it's just like it's very he's just so curt um, and on the way out she says hey you got great hands uh, they go uh, nice. we basically. We meet the Baker brothers. They're playing sort of shitty shows that are really quite depressing. The most depressing being the the Hawaiian one. Um, but uh, what the movie does really well, and it's something that I think Clovis does incredibly well in Wonder Boys as well, is sort of the the amount of backstory that you feel in scenes without much backstory. Like a scene where you, where you meet Nina, Jack, uh, Nina is the little girl upstairs that he teaches piano to. And she walks his dog Eddie from time to time. And you understand their relationship just by the quips they have about the mom's past lovers. Like that's really kind of all you need. You get these two and movies just don't do that anymore. We'd have some sort of shitty piping and, and, and expo about like, all the this first sort of stuff time that we just, started and yeah, like none of the, we just don't we just don't need that stuff. Um, Something else I want to point out from the beginning yeah, of the movie is because you know in films we talk so much, or at least nerds talk so much about the value of cinematography and the cinematographer. Mm. Great cinematographer. Great. No knock here. What we don't talk enough about are production designers yes. and uh, location managers. And I fucking love the way this movie looks and makes me feel like. Mm-hmm. Do you know who it was who did it though? By the way. Who did it's the, the guy who did After Hours. Another movie that feels, yeah, that feels like it. But so I, and just like After Hours, you know, I think it's obviously cliche to say the city is is like a character, but um, 
We just did Major League where Cleveland plays a huge role. And it's very nice to see a movie about a city like Seattle that's known for certain things. And we don't live in those sections of the mm-hmm. town. We don't live in the high rises. We don't live in the offices. This isn't disclosure. Um, we, <laughs> we, we, every city has their piano bars. Every city has their jazz clubs. Every city has their back alleys. And to see it in a city that we don't necessarily readily associate with that, we, you know, I didn't see one shot of the Space Needle. I don't know if you're allowed to shoot Seattle without shooting the Space Needle. But um, to not see that stuff, uh, it's nice. I saw in some review, I forgot whose review it was, how it feels both kind of um, grimy but not foreboding. Yep. And that's the, that's, that, that's the urban environment I want to live in, hmm. right? Like, it's, how, it's always where I want to live. So I thought that was really fucking great, the way this movie looked. And that's when I texted you and said I wanted to bathe in this movie because yep. I – I, really, I mean, that's where I love. That's what I love that the way that movie. I mean, Michael Michael Balhaus uh, is the director of photography on this film, who who's done you know many a uh, uh, Scorsese film, Age of Innocence in particular, Goodfellas, what have you. Um, but they apparently went out of their way to make sure that the film looked like an Edward uh, Hopper painting, and it very much mm. does. You know, I, I think that. Every alleyway is brimming with steam and smoke, and and, and it just it's 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 just it's a tremendous looking movie. Um, but basically, Frank turns to Jack and says that they need to hire uh, a female singer. He says uh, two pianos isn't enough anymore, and Jack says it never was. It's the best. What a line! It never was. Um, so then they do the audition sequence where Jennifer Tilly does an audition where she sings Candyman, which is incredible. Uh, she gives him the quote unquote instructions when she hands him the show. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Je- Jennifer Tilly's great in this role. That is great. a good line. Uh, and then, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer shows up. I mean, her, her first moment is dropping her purse and saying, fuck, as everything yeah. falls out of her purse. What an entrance. Iconic what an entrance. Yep. That's, that's when I fell in love with her. Yep. <laughs> she sings uh, she sings more than you know, uh, and is tremendous. But before she starts singing, she takes the gum out of her mouth, hides it behind her back, and then when she's done, she puts it back in her mouth, which is just tremendous. Uh, she, also, she also does something that is disgusting, but I would do too, which is he says she has gum on her lip and she uses the gum to take the other gum off her lip. It is the most efficient way to do that. Yeah. But, also, but also, would I do that in an audition? No. If someone had no. said, you have gum on your lip in an audition, I'd be like, and I'm going home now. Bye. Yeah. But she's just like, let me swab at it with some other gum. gum. I got gum on my seat. Gum. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Um, so then uh, they obviously hire Susie and she shows up in, in a dress for the first gig that looks like something from like a bar mitzvah or something. I don't even know what she's wearing. It's insane. What are we doing? Going trick or treating? (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So then they'd have a really great little montage where they have to find her a new dress. And Frank tells her that it's going to come out of what they're going to pay her that night. Um, And it's, it's just, it's, it's a great kind of way into the gig. It it gives it an energy. Yeah. Um, But the best part is she has all the lyrics written on a, on little, tags on a bracelet around her wrist and (laughs) and she says what fucking switch into the microphone because it's not turned on and then quickly jerks the mic up and rips all the tags off she says what fucking switch first and then she says i'm really excited to be here and (laughs) and it's like confetti it's like it's so good so i want to i want to use this moment 
Okay. And then she just goes down to pick. I was like, no, no, let it go. <laughs> <laughs> this is over. Don't go down for them. The moment I started realizing this movie was, you know, better than most movies, yeah. was the interplay between Bo and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer because. Yep. 99.99% of movies that have this setup, those are your romantic leads. The two characters who immediately hate each other and are butting heads and that they're going to soften it. But that's not what this movie is about. And I love that about it. I love that there's there, there, the tension between Jeff Bridges and Michelle Pfeiffer is very different from the very typical kind of – 40 screwball type tension yeah. you get between our, our you know, these two, our, our, our more alpha characters, I guess. Um, so that kind of excited me immediately because I did not know where we were going at that point. I could, and that, she, also, and that yeah. she immediately has an affinity for Bo. Like she, she doesn't, you know what I mean? Like she, she enjoys him to some degree. There's something kind of. Out of him, yeah. Yeah, the, the egghead of him uh, is, as she calls him. Um, I will but the, say, I, I also yeah. like that he's not played, um, which I think a lot of other movies would do as well, as a mascot of this yes, unit. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that he is a litmus test for, you know, if you you, you got to like Bo to like for me to like you, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of people might do in kind of a you know a oh, Lenny kind of way. Yeah, uh, he is given a lot of agency. Yeah. He is given a, a lot of respect in this movie. His point of view is laid out very clearly, both uh, obliquely and then later directly. And I think that's really important to understanding this character. Totally. And then if you really look at this, it's not so much a devil on uh, – it's not so much a devil and angel situation for Jeff Daniels. But it is kind of this like pragmatism on one side, which Bo represents, and kind of following your dream on the other side, with which Susie represents – and they both have their kind of alley, you know, giving in the business I, moments yeah. with them. Yeah. Where, you, where they're both completely right. I yeah. love it. I love it. We all can identify with Jeff Bridges in that moment. So, yeah. and the other two characters for that matter. No, I, that's all, the thing is like. all three of those characters. I think you just like, you sh- you just bop around for who, where your allegiance is with all three of these people all throughout the movie. And like as much, you yeah. know, like when, when Bo is like nagging at her as he does after that get, you know, she comes, she gives this incredible performance. You know, they start the number for her, but she chimes in and she's great. And immediately their act is something you actually want to watch and all sorts of stuff like that. And he knows it. And they walk yeah. out of the parking garage and he's just giving her shit for like everything that she did. And I just love that she's just like not going to take a single scrap of it she's like like, i want my name on the fucking i want my name and face on the poster and these shoes are too fucking tight she throws them back and walks away and she's like i said fuck i didn't do it like (laughs) you know i said it i didn't do it like it's just like you're overreacting my man let's not do this yeah Uh, but then we have a very male gazy point of view but i think it i think it's important because this movie is made by a man and i think that there's something to this idea that you give the female protagonist or the female point of view like her one moment in the beginning that makes you fall in love with her and then she softens throughout the rest of the movie into something that's a little more acceptable the fact that that moment ends with her throwing her shoe at him yeah. <laughs> I was like as if I because I feel as if I did as 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 if I needed something else to make me fall head over heels <laughs> over you but it's true like this character never rounds her fucking edges it's so cool it's yeah. amazing 
so then we have a, a, a great montage of uh, her singing I, Need, I Love You Baby uh, over various gigs. Yeah. Wearing some tremendous outfits that oh, are just real late 80s, early 90s. The last gas of the 80s are alive <laughs> yeah. on her body. Yes. It is incredible. Mm-hmm. Alive on her body. <laughs> <laughs> kind of feels that way, doesn't it? And then, so they're doing well at this point. And then uh, there's a great moment where Frank runs out, out of the gig with like the sign over his head because it's raining. And uh, Jack is standing there and Susie walks away with her umbrella and just says, Night Baker. Like the way that she can just say something mm. like that and it just fucking levels him, obviously. Um, then we get that really great cigarette scene. And there's a really great line in it because that I love where she's talking about how expensive the cigarettes are. So they're, they're, they've figured out like how much each cigarette actually costs in a pack. Yeah, and then after she blows him off, he says, "You better hurry up. You're a nickel down on your cigarette." Yes, you're a nickel down on your cigarette. So cool. It's so good. So cool. <laughs> I just I love it so much. Um, Should so I then, smoke, guys? No, 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 no. Don't smoke. Oh no. So then no. we have that heartbreaking scene at the vet. He saves Eddie, brings Eddie on the road trip. Not really sure how that works, but we'll just go with it. They bring Eddie on the road trip. Uh, we have a really great moment of uh, Jack and Susie eyeing each other in the car. Right. So real yeah. fast on this. I'm a very impatient person. I generally do not understand the I just want to hang out with these people thing. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I could remember when they got to that hotel and it's this beautiful mansion where I remember thinking, God, I hope it's not the hotel. And it occurred to me because I wanted to stay with them in the car for long. <laughs> I actually was enjoying it. That's, that's funny. That, and yeah. that's another time I knew, like, no, this is a really special movie that, mm-hmm. that, that, that has its hooks in me the way most movies we do just don't. There's a, and there's also a great reveal in the hotel, which is as they're driving, Susie's looking at the brochure. And right. they've been to so many shitty hotels in the past. And Man. she's like looking at the, at the brochure. She's like, this place looks really nice. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's got pictures. I'm, yeah, great. And then they get there and it's just like the brochure. And she looks at them and is just like, I fucking told you so. And she's also <laughs> like, she's like, yeah, now you're with me, boys. Yeah. <laughs> and the places you get booked are actually nice because guess what? We're actually a good act now. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. What do you know? Uh, so then we have one of the best scenes in the movie, I think, which is uh, after one of the performances, Frank gets a little tipsy, mm-hmm. and we have just this beautiful scene of the three of them. I think that uh, I think that Clovis said it was eleven pages. This scene, which is insane, but it's the three of them on the patio. Lots of that, and Frank's a little tipsy, and he's just talking about how great his brother is. And at one point, we have this really great diopter shot where, you know, where you can see two things in focus mm-hmm. at the same time. And you can see Jack's inability to take any of this positive attention that he's that his brother is fawning on him, basically. And he says, hey, Jack, and he like forces him to look at him and says, you're brilliant. Like, it's just it's a really, really beautiful moment that Jack can't even process. And I just uh, it's just a really nice moment. You're also if you're me. <laughs> Very worried in this scene <laughs> because Frank is drunk and Susie is beautiful and he's okay. like dancing with her and talking about how like his wife and like dancing with her that's, and all sort of stuff like that. And you're just like, go to bed, Frank. Like, go <laughs> to bed. <laughs> now that you now that you've seen the whole scene. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Isn't it kind of nice? Isn't it kind of nice in a like, in a, in a like, I don't know. I hate I, the, the, the Mike Pence mother thing really upset me. Because, you know, for like obvious reasons, this idea that like every interaction between a man and a woman with outside of the, you know, outside of the public sphere somehow turns sexual. Yeah. And I, I didn't feel like that was a sexual scene. I felt like that was two people who were just friends and getting to know each other. It's, I saw, it's, it's weird. I had my 20 year, this is so, such a fucking tangent, but I had my 20 year Zoom reunion two days ago. Oh, wow. Sending old pictures, you know, like there's like a big photo slide and photo thing. And there's old pictures. And there's this picture of me freshman year with like a girl who was someone I was never romantically with whatsoever, who I was very close with. And I just had my arm around her waist. And I know that there was nothing nothing sexual at that moment. There's just something kind of lovely about the idea that a man and a woman who are not romantically involved can show affection towards each other. And have it not be something that's necessarily read as sexual or uncomfortable, particularly if, you know, you're in a situation where both parties understand that. But I I do also think, like, uh, yes, I think think that that should be and can be and ought to be possible and stuff like that. But I do think that there is also something going on for Frank there as he dances with this young, beautiful woman where he's like, he's not going to try something. That's not who Frank is. But he's just like, I remember when I had my beautiful young wife, like in my arms yeah. and stuff like that. And we're both a little older now and we still love each other and I'm not going to do anything to mess that up. But like, I remember that. That's there's also that movie, that movie is a very sad movie. Um, there's, there's yeah. something also right. to, um, there's two things going on. The first is that again, Michelle Pfeiffer is a tremendous actor who is listening to Frank. Like you can see it in her performance. You can see it in the way that she's actually reading what he has to say. It's, it's just, it's, it's a really like genuine friendly moment. So there's that, but then there's the, you should dance with my handsome brother, Frank, like, sorry, Jack, like Mm -hmm. you should be dancing with him. And that it's the, the pride he takes out of standing in the doorway, watching Jack dance with her is is such a beautiful thing in and of itself. Um, despite the fact that Jack isn't really sure what to do, like isn't isn't really sure how to sort of play this. It's clear that he has feelings for Susie, but that he doesn't want to act on them. And then something that I love, and this actually comes back to Major League of all things, because we talked about that last week. But but that idea that 
Frank goes to Jack and says, don't sleep with Susie. Don't fuck this up for us. Like, please don't do that. Like, it's it's outwardly said. And I feel like a lot of movies wouldn't have the confidence to do that. They just kind of, they'd have the look and then the audience would kind of have to surmise it. I appreciate the fact that they say it out loud and that Frank says like, you know, keep your dick in your pants. And my sense really is that it's coming from a point of view. And I think that, you know, Frank's later monologue about this particular thing substantiates this, but I, it really comes to the point of view of, uh, this will fuck up our band Everything. And, yeah. our, and, our, and, and my ability, to, my ability to provide, yep. um, which is overstepping mm-hmm. and it is getting into a kind of a weird place, but you're in that weird place to begin with the moment you hire Susie Diamond to be your singer. Um, yeah, particularly yep. with particularly with Jack on the other set of keys. The, the, the thing that I love that they don't show yeah. is they never show the moment like uh, I'm jump, I'm jumping forward a little bit, but like yeah. after after they sleep together and they have that like scene in the diner where like Susie's oh, being like um <laughs> with the gift you know, that I sent you. Yeah, with the amazing gift that you sent me and all that <laughs> sort of stuff. Like um you never, you never have to see that moment where Bo's like, oh, or Frank's like, oh, they slept together. He says it later. He's like, you just couldn't help yourself. You had to do it. But it's never that moment where like all these glances are exchanged and everyone's like, oh shit, this line was crossed. And and you know that Jack didn't say anything. Jack wasn't like, so by the way, we hooked up on New Year's. It's just sort of like, of course he knows. Of course mm-hmm. he knows this what happened. Of course this is what his brother did. You know, like all those sorts of like that. So, yep. Well, and it's and it all sort of comes back to this place of like that that Frank is the chaperone, like Frank is the one that's keeping these two in check, essentially. And when one of his kids gets in a car accident of some sort, so he has to leave for a couple of days and he leaves them alone. Um, first of all, there's a great line where uh, <laughs> Jack is talking to Frank on the phone, finds out that the kid's OK and turns to Susie and says, the kid's in the pink. Uh-huh. Which is just such a like. I wish I could be cool enough to say something like that, and people would be like, "Yeah, yeah, sure, that's that's a totally realistic thing to say." Yeah, but anyway, we'll or to tell or to tell a woman that she's a nickel down on her cigarette. I think it's <laughs> like, I, I would give anything to be that cool. I, I um, try all these things. I'm going to try to say this is not disclosure. That's what I'm going to try to work into. It. <laughs> <laughs> it it's not disclosure. It worked at all times. <laughs> I don't know. I've been, I've been, I've been told recently that I, it looks like because I'm in my new house now. It looks like I'm zooming from inside a washing machine. It kind of does, oh. which, which also feels a little disclosurey, right? <laughs> but this is yeah. not disclosure. This is not disclosure. So, but what what we ultimately get is Frank leaves for a couple of days. Uh, you know, when the cat's away, the mice will play, and they sing perhaps the most iconic part of this movie which is making whoopee she michelle pfeiffer sings it in this red velvet dress atop a black piano grand with uh <laughs> michael ballas doing his trademark circular dolly around the entire piano it's choreographed beautifully it's the fucking greatest a I song i have always found to be unbelievably embarrassing to think about <laughs> Until and, this moment. But also, and, it's like, it's such a weird song because it's like, it's about the consequences of making yeah. whoopee. She's like, she's singing about like, you know, uh, changing diapers, you know, like washing dishes and baby yeah. clothes and, and like, but sexily. And you're like, what? What? 
I think, Am I listening uh, to? I, but now, because I've it's always held a place in pop culture that I never understood because the song is called Making Whoopi and it's so fucking embarrassing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but now I understand it to some extent. It's still, I would say, not uh, Jessica Rabbit. It, it's still, no, they should have given her a better song to sing there. Like, it's what? an iconic moment, but like, yeah. Is it, wait, is Sooner or Later from Dick Tracy? Correct. Yeah. That's uh, so fucking good, too. Sooner or Later is really good. Do Right is what Jessica Rabbit Yeah, why don't you do right? right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's great. So good. I, think, um, I, think, I think that, like, people think, particularly the kind of people who probably would go and see this performance. On New Year's. <laughs> I think that really was a very sexy number. And it was a very sexy number. Sexiest fucking thing it's, yet. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's you, unbelievable. It's just uh, like, what's also really form. sexy is their first kiss, their New Year's kiss, is so good because she has to like stop herself. She has to literally like pull herself away from the kiss. It's fantastic. Well, it's it's inc- it's incredible, blushing beyond compare. <laughs> but what's so funny about this movie with like two uh, people that we've agreed are at like the prime of their yeah. smoking hotness is like that's all the sex we get is that kiss. We don't see their other. Well, there's, there's, uh, we're talking about two different kisses. Oh, right, right, the New Year's kiss. Sorry, sorry. The New the Year's, Year's kiss is when like massage. you hear yeah, the New yeah, Year's yeah, kiss. Yeah. She stops herself. Then he gives her a massage, yeah. which leads to which like is it is very sexy. It's very hot. It is. <laughs> that's what you need. That's what you need. But you know, but you know what else is like really like maybe blush in like a really cute way is the scene before New Year's when they're like smelling each other's perfume yes, yes. and sneaking around. The toiletries? Yeah, oh, and that's yeah. how you that's how you they both know for sure that the other person is interested, despite like the nose and the awkwardness yes. and the aloofness and all this sort of stuff like that. They now both know silently that the other person is definitely into this. You know what that I mean? Was the scene. Yeah. Sorry, well you I, were talking I, about consent a little bit earlier kenny like sort of and like that's this is this is that scene to me is what makes the massage into the kiss later like okay because it's like she hasn't said yes all green light but like she snuck around and smelled his cologne and i'm like "Mm, yeah so i was gonna say something similar because that i was i was under the miss the mistaken impression that she was nominated for best supporting and not best actor so it would or best actress so it was that moment when I texted Phil and I said, Michelle Pfeiffer supporting actress's character fraud. Be- category fraud. Category yeah. fraud. Yeah. I, I, have very, I have very strong opinions about what constitutes a supporting performance and what constitutes a lead performance. Mm. But it was that moment when they started seeing this through their point of view equally, Right. Where I started to feel like we are on this journey with her character as much as we're on the journey with the Bakers, who also I think both give lead performances, by the way. Yeah. Um, and uh, and and of course she had to get nominated for Best Actress. Unfortunately, I, I, the Academy was correct, and I didn't get to yell category fraud. I do think <laughs> that um, just to speak very briefly about the toiletry scene because it is it's adorable and it's perfect because it allows you to it allows them to seem insecure for a little mm-hmm. bit just vulnerable. for a, a, yeah. vulnerable because they're so hardened they refuse to give each other even an inch they both have to be you know cool as shit and i get it um 
feels but like I'm, I'm cool I don't, shit, so I I don't in any way do I do that, but I understand that that's what they want to do. Mm-hmm. What I think is interesting, too, is Clovis talks on the commentary about how he was failing at directing the scene. And it was taking too long, and he just knew it wasn't working. So he kicked everyone off the set, except for Jeff and Michelle and, uh, and the DP. And they worked it out. But, you know, it took some time. And he turned to Jeff Bridges and Michelle and said, this, we'll figure this out. Like, it takes as long as it takes. Like, it's not a big deal. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get there. And they obviously ultimately got it. But then after they shot it, Jeff Bridges turned to him and said, that was really cool that you said, you know, we had all the time in the world to get it. I didn't believe you for a second, but I appreciate that you said it. And I think it's like, it's just, it's great that like everyone making this movie and, and Clovis talks about this as well. Like this was the most collaborative movie he's ever been a part of. Everyone just wanted to get it right. Everyone just wanted to do a great job. And you sense that. You sense the camaraderie between the three of them. It's it's pretty amazing. You didn't get that from the Harry Potter franchise? No, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, yeah. back, back to the scene where yes. they consummate their sure. life for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yes. What, what um, <laughs> precedes that is a very, okay. not a very long monologue, but a monologue. I'm holding baby scissors, by the way. Yeah. But a, but a, a monologue. Yes. reminiscent of Julia Roberts' monologue from Pretty Woman about mm-hmm. essentially the life of an escort. Yep. Uh, the Pretty Woman's a great movie that I love very much. And I, you know, when we did our top five romantic comedies two years ago, yes. I yes. believe I had it on my top five, and I think I maybe still will. But but Pretty, Pretty Woman doesn't hold a candle to this movie. And part of that is because they soften all the edges of her actual experience of prostitution. She had only had sex with poor guys. And, you know, the idea I think was like, you know, it was a very male fantasy thing where like uh, she's she's a little she's a, she's a little tarnished, but not too tarnished. He rescues her from the bitter realities of, but before she could be too far in, right, right, you know, before she before she was taken to the under the fairy tale, you know, she right, and I and and I hesitate to say I think that might go both ways with with uh, men and women. I think that there is also like a bit of she's a prostitute, like at least she's not you know hanging out at at uh, soap conventions. Well, Michelle Pfeiffer is a big deal in studs. Michelle Pfeiffer is hanging out at soap conventions mm-hmm. and gives a really kind of naked monologue, no pun, mm-hmm. about what that's like. And it means, in, in the best possible way, it means nothing to Jeff Bridges outside of this is some interesting information about another person who I'm in the same room with right now. This is an interesting part of this person's life. That felt, um, and it was also the other thing I want to say about it was, uh, the very brief time I tried to act and you had to do a monologue, this felt like the kind of monologue you would do in an acting class. Oh, it, had yeah. that kind of, it had that kind of roller coaster quality. Yeah. Um, and those are th- those are very hard to deliver in a way that doesn't completely suck. And she absolutely incredible with this monologue. I also just, uh, you know, she, she is, as you said, she's amazing at the monologue and, and, and she does, she knocks it out of the park the looks that she gives while he's giving her the massage, when he undoes her dress, when he undoes the zit, like the looks that she's giving of the, the push and pull, the fight that she's going through in her head of like I how much this. she wants this, but how she knows it's this. a bad idea. Yeah. Like it's just, it's tremendous. The insecurity and the security, 
the lust, all the stuff that she's conveying is just is is unbelievable. And then the next morning for him to basically and she's like, you'd be a really good fireman. <laughs> like he can't get out of there fast enough. It is took me a second to get that joke. No, it's because yes. he's fast. He's fast getting his clothes on. Yeah. Oh, he gets his clothes on super that's fast. That's pretty good. I couldn't figure it out. I, 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 I know. It took me a second. I was like, yeah, I was like putting out fun. Oh, it's because he put his <laughs> pants I always thought that there was, a lot of, there was a lot of lifting involved. You can no, carry you. It's no, you're good with your hands. No, uh, it's not. But yeah, it's its own thing. Yeah, and it's um, the the phrase that I've started using recently. I got this from Katie Rich. Actually, she was talking about the crown. Uh, hurt people, hurt people. People who are hurt, hurt other people. And this yep. is just like a hurt people, hurt people scene. Hundred um, percent. She said just, that. She she said that in because she watched the crown. She said that or yeah, about she says the crown is like. Especially season four, like when you watch Charles and Diana in season four yeah. of The Crown, and she's just like, "It's hurt people, hurt people." It's right? Crazy. I yeah. think I picked that up from maybe your Twitter because I have I put that in my own notes for something I'm writing. I think it's <laughs> yeah. that exact that exact phrase. I think it's yeah. I think it's really important just yeah. to, to understand a cycle of abuse in America in the world throughout the last you know million years. And and they keep doing it in the yeah. course of this film too, which is they keep like the 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 balance keeps shifting, like the balance of power between the two of them. And I, I don't like using the word power necessarily, but just the confidence changes. Mm-hmm. The like when the when the kind of their guard comes well, down. It's a status and, thing, right, Phil? It's 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 it, there's a there's a very acute understanding of status within this relationship. Who's high status? And who's sure, sure, status. sure, sure. Leading the conversation, who's trailing the conversation, and, and you know. But I just mean in the sense of like Susie goes to see uh, Jack play some piano at a, at a jazz bar and then she waits in the stairwell of his apartment. And this might be one of my favorite moments in the film, which is he rounds the corner of the stairwell, looks up at her. The look on her face is filled with excitement to see him. She sees that he's not excited to see her and her face immediately goes back to stone. Like it's a fraction of a moment where you see that Susie's let, willing to let him in and and he sees it too, and is like, "Fuck that!" I, yeah. I just, I don't. Those are the things that I just. That, that but then make he picks up her shoe. He just picks up her shoe. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. That's a great <laughs> moment. He picks up her shoe. He does pick, and and the look on her face is, "He picked up my shoe." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess we're doing this. I, that, that that moment didn't. I didn't read that the way you read that. I I, I want to rewatch wait, it. They want to watch that. it with your. Watch that moment if you can, because I, yeah. I, I it, it's a split second. But Michelle Pfeiffer is doing something in that instant that just really. Well, I think it's part of like he's been he's had too many one night stands. You know what yeah. I mean? And she's ready to let him in. He's had too many of these. Is this another quote unquote needy person that is like I, I just all that stuff that's that this baggage that unfortunately makes them unable to see each other for who they really are. She. She makes an interesting decision mm-hmm. by going to the club Correct. and not saying hello. And not telling him. Yeah. yeah. I, I I guess I didn't read that moment the same way, but she does have information on him that he doesn't have. Um, yeah. But um, then they, they have sex again. The next morning, they have a whole sort of post-coital conversation. Um, and she says, I got a gig writing jingles for cat food. And he's like, you should take it. Take the gig. And she's like, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave you with a, an open mic. And he says, there's always another girl. 
That's it. Door shut. And the look on her face, mm. it's like, I will not fucking cry for you, mm. but but I have got the tears are just welling in her eyes. It's tremendous. It's great stuff. I never thought she was going to cry. I was sitting there thinking, I mean, I know that she, I, I know she was going glassy. I don't get me wrong, but I thought yeah. that, that was there before. And I had, uh, I had so much faith in this character that I just expected her to be like, which I think she did was essentially like, oh, there's always another girl. All right. Fuck yeah, you. I'll be thinking, exactly. I'll be thinking, I'll be thinking about peas for, you know, <laughs> 15,000 an hour. Yeah. But yeah. So no, enjoy, I, I, enjoy the Luau lounge. Yeah. No, and it's, it's, it's just, um, there's so there's so many tiny moments where you're like, if you just open slightly and you just open slightly, then you can figure this out and connect. And they're yes, just too yes. closed and too spiky. And she keeps like she opens a little. He opened a little when he asks her about coffee. You know what I mean? Like there are these like I'm afraid yeah. I don't want to expose my underbelly sort of like, um, you know, reactions between these characters. And I just I think it's so you're just so rooting for them to not fuck this up we'll talk about the ending when we get to the ending and i think it's so yes, strong yes. but like i actually think the yes. bigger moment well, i don't want to jump the gun it's, i think I, I think we're we're there which is the scene in the alleyway where they fucking let loose on each other uh it's not that because then yeah he brings up her like sex worker stuff and you're well, just but like she also says jesus you're cold you're like a fucking razor blade and he says careful you're gonna have me thinking you're going soft on me right uh, a little callback uh, a little there. callback uh yeah. and then uh once the sweat dries you still don't know shit about me uh i didn't know whores were so philosophical and then she says at least my brother's not my pimp good job guys I mean, <laughs> it's not good yeah it's not- good job guys is right yeah good job <laughs> But when she says uh, to him, when she says to him, I thought I had you pegged from a, from the moment I met you, I had you pegged as a loser, but you're worse. You're a coward. Yes. That cuts. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. That mm-hmm. cuts. It's a great scene though. Like, it's just, I don't know. I, I, I love yeah. how These guys, it's a, yeah. it's great. Yeah. I, I, Jordan, I don't, don't put words in your mouth, but the guys you were talking about were these two characters, right? Great job guys. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think it was a great, a really, really strong scene about two people who have decided to, you know, unload everything, yeah. every bullet they had in their gun. Just blow, just all, burn it down. Also, you know? just just burn it down. Like, we all kind of, it's a weird thing. We all kind of have these bullets kind yeah. of ready to go uh, for all the people we love the most. And, and only the, the most, people we love the most, right? Like you wouldn't say this to someone you didn't care about. No, yeah. who, no. I mean, why, why, why risk it? Yeah. Um, but uh, we all of these, yeah, we all of our, our bullets ready for these people we love the most. And it really, I don't, I don't know. We really know what to, what to make of, of it. The idea of, are you a better person if you withhold fire? Are you a better person if you shoot? Are you a better person? Like, is it a moment by moment thing? But I, what does it say about you? If you, if you feel the need to, to, to punch someone in the gut so badly who you care it's about. It's defense you. mechanism shit, right? I mean, it's, it's just as. But there's also I, a safety to it. Okay. So like, there's a couple yeah. things, right? Yeah, so please. like, yeah. it's tremendously unsafe, especially like if you find that there's someone who's constantly reloading their gun, like that any vulnerability that you ever express to them mm-hmm. is another, bu- like another bullet that they're just going to shoot at you later. And like you, you learn to realize that and you, you stop. Yeah. You st- yeah. You need to leave. You stop sharing things with them, blah, blah, blah. Uh, on the other hand, there is, 
a safety in unloading on someone. I've only, I mean, I've only ever done it with like boyfriends and family, right? Where it's just sort of like, and you know, with boyfriends, it's not quite the same, but with family, you can just, oh my God, it's all comes out, but it's in a safe place. Cause you're like, at the end of the day, we're still family and that, you know, and I can, I could be this worst version of myself with it, which is cathartic sometimes. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, there's something here. And so there's something to be, it's an intimacy thing. Right. And so there's something to be said about the intimacy of this, of this lashing out between the two of them, which is awful behavior from both of them. Uh, Jeff Bridges deserves it more, but, um, you know, sure. <laughs> but I, I think that there's, it's, it, I, I agree with you on the intimacy. There, there's also the feeling and, and maybe I'm overthinking it, but this idea of if we can withstand this, then, then maybe we have a chance. Hmm. I, well, and maybe I'm being too optimistic. Like, well, but. like a boundary pushing, right? Like, yeah, can, yeah, can yeah, we yeah. can we go here? Yeah. Is this an okay place to go? No. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> I feel you, you, you. To something you said, Joanna, because you just kind of got at the thesis of the movie to some extent, right? Because we have a very similar scene in a very similar location with with Bo and Jeff later, where basically, mm-hmm. you know, Bo also reads him the riot act about all the things that are yep. wrong with him, and he also is correct their resolution is pretty fucking easy. You know, it's pretty easy for him to go for, for Jeff to go back to Bo's house. And essentially they have it out a little and Bo's like, all right, it'll be three weeks and then we'll get back to normal. Just like, it'll never be back to normal. I'm leaving, but it still is always going to be normal emotionally. Whereas, whereas it basically does probably ruin the relationship between Susie and, uh, and Jack I'm interchangeably using Bo and Jack and Jeff and Jeff. Right, but that's besides the point. But I think what what is kind of interesting, because as you said, John, it's only ever happened with boyfriends and family members, is the the goal in a relationship really is, I think, to get to that place where you can be your worst self. Yeah. Not always. Sure. But every once in a while, maybe once a year, and you could move on. I think that's with the same safe. Yeah. the same frequency as you would be with your with your family, right? Right, exactly. Yep. And you, yeah. But the the fear, and this is what this movie I think says, the fear is, you know, there's always that sneaky little fucking escape hatch that this is not a relationship you one hundred percent are going to keep forever and ever, even a marriage. Um and I don't know. I think that that's pretty poignant that that a similar blow up between these two characters, one results in the two of them playing piano together and the other results in the two of them. I mean, it, there's a around. I mean, there's a little bit of the blood is thicker than water to a certain degree. I mean, I, I do think that these two brothers obviously go go way back and their relationship is is I don't want to say deeper necessarily than the relationship with Susie, but it's different. And it's and 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 that it that that bond is unbreakable. You know, they have this really sweet scene where they play your 16 on these uh, back to back pianos from when they were kids. And it's great. Um, I love that white, that two sided white piano in the garage. So good. And and it's just covered in shot glasses from all of the various gigs. Talking about the production design moment. That is so good when he's packing up these mementos from like like hundreds of gigs in these awful places that they played. But the specificity of that, like that's the thing about this movie that if you tell someone what this movie is about like the log line of this film they'd be like okay right but like the specificity of these characters the way that they're played the fact that 
that a production designer found somewhere like 300 shot glasses from a bunch of different hotels. Yeah. That type of stuff is what makes this thing sing. But now we're at the final scene of the movie and it's tremendous. Wait, can, I, can I go back to the garage really quickly? Please, yeah, please. Yeah. Something is, I is love that the scene you were going to talk about? Uh no, it's Jeff Bridges in the diner. I don't know if if we want to. Oh yes, yes, it's story. Jennifer. Yeah, Jennifer Tilly. Yeah, yeah. that's is right it, before he goes to talk to the Jennifer Tilly moment. Too. Feels yeah. really pivotal to me, right? Because yes, yes, yes. The, you know, the moment where the camera drops to Jennifer yeah. Tilly's chest, and you're Cleavage. like, oh yeah. my god, <laughs> and and then she sees it. And yep. she's disappointed and frustrated because she was just like being very like nice and like cute with him and not even necessarily hitting on him. She was just sort of like, I know she you. She kind of wanted to sing for him. She yeah. sings, sings in the beginning of the scene. And he so like, weird. and he disappoints her and you're disappointed in him and all of that. And then he like comes correct instead. And that to me feels like a big turn. But why him. does he come correct though? Because he clocks the picture of Michelle Pfeiffer on the wall. Better Angel. Better Angel. And also, like, that's still the one. Like, what? what, You know what I mean? Like, that idea of it's beneath me and it's beneath, like, why would, it's just, it's all bad. I want to talk about that scene, too. Okay. It's not disclosure. It is not. (laughs) Well, it's similar to disclosure in that it's something that I don't love. I think we have to do disclosure now. Uh, Disclosure is truly the. It it might be worse than that. It might be worse than that. I'm not sure. Um, But it is. It is one of the worst movies ever made. It's a close call. It's close. Um, So I I don't love that scene for a couple reasons. One is I don't love the way Jennifer Tilly is deployed because I think Jennifer Tilly is often deployed as a grown-up child. Correct. And that makes me uncomfortable because Jennifer Tilly is a grown-up human, a grown-up woman, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that that felt like they were trying to hint at something innocent with her, which – I get that. Which which goes a little – which which assumes something – judgmental about this character and this actress that I'm not that thrilled about. So that's the first part. That's part of why I think Bound is such a fucking cool movie because it's, you know, one of the only movies where she's not just some baby sex object. I love that. So that's one thing about that. The other thing that I kept trying to kind of wrap my head around, and I don't mean to like be just that diametrically opposed to Joanna, but the, the idea that, him not sleeping with Jennifer Tilly was the moral good also made me a little uncomfortable. I hear, I hear you. Yeah. And, uh, but and I'm uh, not, yeah. sorry. And I'm not trying to say that like, it wasn't the moral good. I, it's not that I'm just straight up saying it, but like a much different movie that takes itself a lot less seriously. Um, but does something like this is the wedding singer where he goes back to that original woman who like left him at the altar and yeah, sleeps yeah. with her when shit goes bad with, with Drew Barrymore. And it's not a moral failing for that character. It's just a bad moment. And I don't know if had he slept with Jennifer Tilly, and again, Jennifer Tilly I think is, is, is something that's very weird that also kind of, he does kind of intimate that he slept with the 16-year-old at her sweet 16 as well. So there's something kind of going on there uh, that is just like the is the growing up being a woman who is more your 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 speed, like kind of emotionally and intellectually, 
Um, or is it just being with the right person that I think is a little confused in these scenes? But I, I'm not convinced that if Jeff, if Jeff Bridges had a bad moment here, it would have been irredeemable or even would have made me think all that less of this character. I, no, I, I agree with you. Like, it's, it's not it's not sleeping with another woman or the wrong woman or whatever. It's like that's just that was just not respectful of what that woman wanted from that interaction you know what i mean and the way in which the camera slash his eyes like move on her body and and like what's interesting about that shot is like jennifer tilly who's an incredibly sexy woman she's not like spilling out of her uniform it's not not. like you know it's a very like she's very buttoned up and so it's just like it seems even more transgressive for him to be staring in a place where he was not invited to stare and so um and and it just seems like a a move backwards. Like this would be a, a retreat to the Jack that he's been, the Jack that we meet at the beginning of the movie. Um, and it would be really very easy for him to do that. It would be so easy mm-hmm. for him to just backslide into um, previous behavior. I do. I hear what you're saying about like, I don't want like a, a sexual uh, encounter and destruction to be a moral deal breaker with a character. I, I, I reject that as a, as an idea, but to, for this character on this journey, it just feels like a step back when meeting Susie opens the door to a potential step and, forward. For instance, and I'll right? also say, yeah. And I, and I agree with everything you said. I'll also say that um, this, this particular movie seems to lack it's from what the first thing you said phil about how she's supposed to be an act two dilemma for the characters i think it lacks an act one and it lacks an act three and i don't say that derisively in any way so in another movie the wedding singer for instance in another movie this would be your break into three right you would have him sleep with this other woman realize his mistake go back and win susie but that's not what they're doing here so this movie doesn't require some moral failing break into act three, some step back act into act three. You know, it's essentially the romantic comedy moment when he fucks it all up. That's not what this movie is doing to you emotionally. Right. So it's so given that I do think it is an unconventional movie structural, structurally speaking, I don't mind that. Now, in terms of like the, the content of the scene, I also think it was the right move for this particular character. I just feel like the binary it sets up and I do mm-hmm. think it's there. The binary it sets up makes me a little uncomfortable um, because I keep thinking about the counterfactual. Had he had done it, would I have hated this character? And I don't think I would have. Yeah. I don't think I would have either. I, I just I think it wouldn't have been the healthier choice. No, yeah. For him. I, I mean, I think that I I, I would I, I imagine that on some level I would think a little less of him in that moment. The takeaway for me in the scene is that he lo- still loves Susie and he, and he and he wants to try to make that work. I mean, that, that's that's ultimately what I think you're supposed to take away from the scene, which is he doesn't want to. He wants to change. He finally wants to like break the cycle. You know, he wants to get out of the business with his brother and he wants to try to make it work with Susie. It's just also the the act three of this movie is all about like understanding how little he understood because like i agree that this is a three-hander all three are leads but like ultimately it's 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 yeah. jack's apartment we're inside yeah. of you yeah, know yeah. What I mean? like ultimately if, if there is one character it's him and the realization he has both with his brother with the neighbor girl and all sorts of stuff like that is like the things that he thought he was doing for people 
they were often doing for him, right? Totally. Like, you know, when he talks to his brother and he's like, uh, no, we're not going to go back to normal. I don't want to do it. And his brother's like, oh, well, I can just teach piano in the neighborhood for the same amount of money, whatever. And then he talks to the girl and he's like, he's like, oh, you know, yeah. and she's like, oh, I got to go. <laughs> the guy my mom's dating is pretty cool. And he's taking me to the zoo, whatever. I don't need you that way. You know what I mean? And it's like, <laughs> You know, and it's yep, just sort yep, of like yep. um, the you know the the great sacrifices, the ba- the pain, the martyrdom, all this sort of stuff was actually kind of for nothing. Right, you're hitting um, on something that's like you know? so awesome to me. It's like such a it's the, what this fucking movie is about. And you you nailed you you said it very early on with him being around forty and no longer any kind of coast on whatever he was coasting on before. There are people like this. There are people like this that I know who are who who always kind of thought that their presence, not to be punny, but their presence was the present, right? Right. Yeah. That just being with this person because they yeah. are so funny or charming or cool or have access or whatever was enough. Right. And I think that's what Jeff Bridges thought the entire time. Right? And yeah. I think what you're hitting on right now is these people being like, it's not it's not enough for me anymore you know it's not enough for me just to be in the same room as you anymore and i i I think the thing with the girl is is really interesting because all she was down there making coffee for him probably his dog like she was taking care of him honestly probably because she thought he was fucking cool yeah right a lot cooler than the guys who come and sleep with her mom right Uh, and then she was like you know what it's not enough anymore. This is you're not giving me anything. I think yeah. that happened with Susie. I think that happened with Frank. I think that that's an interesting lesson for people who kind of coast on their coolness. At some point, coolness doesn't pay the rent. Well, this this sort of brings us to um, the last scene, and and yeah. whether and I'm very curious about both of your takes on this scene. Um, essentially, what happens is Jack is waiting outside her apartment. He asks her how the cow food business is going. She says, terrific. I'm doing vegetables now, carrots and peas, none of the important ones, which I love. <laughs> um, carrots and- are a very important vegetable. I don't, I don't know that I agree with her. What's more important than a carrot? I mean, I don't know, broccoli? Isn't, isn't that an A-list That's vegetable, right, broccoli. carrot? Broccoli. <laughs> I don't know. But um, – but so, it's she's a, not doing rutabagas. Come on. <laughs> they yeah. do have a it's it's a really great scene um because they have a couple moments where they let themselves be awkward and they allow themselves to kind of be almost like you know, two people that are just they 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 allow themselves to let their guards down for a second. They're sweet to each other, even if it's only briefly. She he tries to touch her hair at one point and he's not having it. Um I couldn't even tell if she noticed that he did that. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. that's one of my, and that is my shit in movies when like, <laughs> it's usually a dude like goes to like barely touch. I don't know. Maybe that's a creepy behavior and I shouldn't encourage her. But, like, <laughs> barely. And she doesn't even notice it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway. All I know is that whether she notices that he tries to touch her hair or not, that she breaks the scene. Like she yeah. basically is like, we're done. Correct. And she walks away and, and basically she asks, you know, he has, he asks, are we going to see each other again? And she says, I don't know. And he says intuition, which is a callback to her first scene first when she auditions time. and says, I'm going to get the job. Why call it intuition? My question to you guys is this. Do you think that these two get back together? I mean, but that's why I like the ending. 
I, I get it. I'm just asking for your for I'd, your interpretation. I'd be mad at a kiss, and I'd be mad if they didn't share one last scene before the movie's over. So I actually think this uh, hits it perfectly. Um, I I do think they try probably most realistically. <laughs> I think they try again and fail again. That's what I think. That that feels right to me. I mean, I think that my my gut says that these two probably give it one more shot, but that they're just they don't work. You know, but I, I believe don't. in him staying on the path, like that that he's on. That it's not dependent on her, and that's why I, like getting the girl, quote unquote, is not the point of this movie. Sure. Yes, 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 you know right. what I mean. And she doesn't symbolize the progress forward. It's for him to move forward. So I think that he moves forward and she moves forward, and whether or not they move forward together is actually a little immaterial. What do you think? What you think? Oh. I think what you think. I think I, I think like it's. I think it's. A, <laughs> I think it's a fun game, but I I think it's weird because again, back to major league. Um, I didn't want Guys, to know. I want to watch rewatch Major League now. Oh, well, I, mean, well, I think this is going to happen. I think this is going to happen over and over in the baby nine movies. We've done, I believe, five now, four now, five. Uh, and they're all fucking brilliant. Like, there's just there's something about, and I want to ask yeah, you about, we've done um, about studio movies in the 80s that this, they're just spectacular. But uh, the end of Major League, they, you know, they win, they get to the playoffs, and then you go away. And then in Major League Two, you know they got swept in the playoffs. I I, I don't, and I I said I, I don't want to know if Tony Sopranos lives or dies. I don't want to know if the Indians win the playoffs. The movie's over. I the movie is over. The story is told, and it doesn't matter to me if they try again, if they don't try again, if they have kids, if they don't have kids. This is it. This is the Angie and, and Jack story for me. Um, so I I know I know I sound like a total asshole. At, at, Responding to your totally the, fun question, but uh, it just—it's—it's it's, yeah, it's you're not, not really responding to it. But that's well, no, I'm—I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm, I'm not—I'm not playing the game, and I usually hate when like you don't play the game. But this is this is just a game. I like at this. The movie's over, and I—I I know what I need to know about these characters moving forward. And I love—I love the way it ended. It's so beautiful. And another thing, yeah, no, it's—I per- think it's the best ending. The AFI movies are watching, but this happens in all the '89 movies watching too. These movies knew when to get out. They, <laughs> they knew when the movie guys, was done. Have you guys seen the movie Swim Fan? Yes. Have you, seen uh, the movie, have you seen the movie Swim Fan recently? Not recently, though. Okay, great. So I watched it a couple weeks ago. <laughs> okay. Do not recommend. Um, <laughs> wow, COVID and, has hit you hard. <laughs> no, my friend. It's kind of like Fatal Attraction, but with uh, kids in, in swim with, like, team. With the messenger. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, Jesse Bradford. And yeah. so there's – so at the very end of the movie, spoilers for some fan, they're like, <laughs> they're like in a pool. It's established that his stalker um, cannot swim. And he rescues his girlfriend and then just lets his stalker, like, negligent homicide, just, like, lets her drown. And then the movie is over. I'm not kidding. Like, I don't remember that. A minute later. A minute, like, uh, you see a montage of him walking out of a swim meet. He's no longer on the swim team. He gets in the car with his girlfriend, played by Sherry Appleby, and they're like, we're fine now. And then it's over. So one thing you can say about Swim Fan is it sure does end. <laughs> it knows how to get out quickly. <laughs> Sherry Appleby is the girlfriend? Yes. Yes. Love Sherry Appleby. She's the uh, the Ann Archer yes. of this yeah. equation. Yes. Is, yes. Is, yes. She, is she as cool as Ann Archer? 
No, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, so uh, let's just very quickly rank this movie. Uh, Wait, can I, I, can I, I haven't mentioned the one thing I don't like about this movie. Oh, please. Absolutely. And, and I was gratified to see an interview that, from 1989 that I read, which is that, you know, we talked about La La Land a little earlier. It's a mm-hmm. little whatever for Jeff Bridges is going to be like, I'm going to go play jazz with the black people. <laughs> that's yes, that's yes, my yes. aspiration. It's like, that's a fair, you know, fair point. A little yes. Ryan Gosling and La La Land. That's all. Okay. And that's yeah, another yeah. thing that feels like there's uh, there was a very lazy shorthand there, right. um, even more so than the even more not even more so. Aside from the kind of racial tourism of the move, there's mm-hmm. a shorthand to this is you know real and what I was doing is fake. There's like a value judgment to that that. Um, seems a little ridiculous for uh, white filmmakers and white actors to be, to be playing as if he could ever be that, you know, as if there's any world in which like he could be the, the young black pianist who's been there for a year and he hasn't seen. So that's that. I I think that in general, that idea, thank God has kind of gone away, but that was prevalent for fucking ever. Like ever, ever, ever that like you can, that a white guy can somehow like, you know, take a tour into uh, black culture and be better. And then you essentially like, you know, redeem their soul that way somehow. So yeah. Yeah. it's very, so, it's very that thing you do. You know what I mean? Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. Um, so uh, I know, Kenny, you didn't see this in 89. I, I did see it around then. Uh, I really loved it, as I mentioned. Watched it many times. I mean, this movie, this is like a 96, 97 for me across the board. Like, I, I just, I think it's close to a perfect film. It's certainly one of my favorite couples ever. One of my favorite romances mm-hmm. ever. Um I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer off the charts. Everything's just great. Jeff Bridges is awesome. I, I don't have anything else to add other than that I love this movie. What do you guys think? Zero to 99, Joanna. What are your thoughts on Tyler Faker Boys? 97. Yeah. 97. Maybe 96. 97. Yeah. I'm surprised that's, that's you're about not 99, Phil. Yeah. What, I, what, well, what dings it I, for you? I think that what what doesn't make it a 99 ultimately is the five other films from 1989 that I have on my list as perhaps being above it. I mean, I, I think that there's just sort of we, – we talked about these in a previous episode, Joanna. But, okay. I mean, When Harry Met Sally, um, mm. Batman, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, uh, Dead Poets Society. Like these are just movies that I'm just like. True. These are I, in my DNA. Like I, I don't know that I can. I, I can't really. So I could. Those are like, over Last Crusade. No. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that, that's why it's like not a 99, but it's basically a, in my heart, Kenny. It's a 99. So make it a 99. I, I, uh, I, I think all my favorite movies from this year are 99s. Yeah. Um, and this movie's very close. Like yeah. ex- this movie's, you know. Pick a day. I mean, this might wind up. Top five is two. Is just not enough for us for this year. We did fives, we did and uh, it's just not enough because you don't get no. enough variety. Um, I, I mean, I'm. I was like basically thinking like this is you know like a ninety eight for me. Um, I think I'm gonna give it. I think I'm gonna give it a ninety six. I think I landed on ninety six by the end of this movie, which is like super high for something on first viewing, particularly something where. You know, I had every, I, I had every like inclination within me 
to not love as much as Phil. Um, <laughs> but that's no, totally. go to. I love how my, I love that you loved it. I love that even yeah. with like the expectation of this being one of Phil's favorite movies, that you're just like, yeah, it lives it, up to the hype. It's happened so rarely, not the Phil part, but that part where you're like, <laughs> where you're late to the party on something. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this movie's, I think this movie actually is a little, little underrated and underappreciated by culture at large. I don't think people, yeah. and I, I have tried to like wh- think about why this movie never kind of spoke to me. And I honestly think, and this is lame, but I honestly think the title "Fabulous Baker Boys" sticks in your head. Yeah, it is definitely catchy, yeah. but it does not. It does yeah. not seem like a place. A, 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 does not seem like a couple of people I want to be with. I don't want to be with anybody who calls himself the Baker Boys. I don't or like fabulous. that. Thing. Or fabulous. That's right. If it was I mean, even Susie Diamond, <laughs> it was a sensational yeah. Susie Diamond. I might go see it. But I'll say this though, I, and I, I, I've been pushing for this. I've been adding Criterion quite a bit on Twitter. I think this would be a great Criterion movie. Oh. I think this would. Be, I think this would be a movie that I think could could get film snobs to finally, you know, watch this movie. Perhaps the title is a is a stumbling block, but this is a movie that, quite frankly, and I said this earlier, but like it's hard to find, and that's why I think now more than ever, with a million streaming possibilities, how is this movie not like? Can I say that I found a copy of it on YouTube in total that was not like? You can cut this out if, if that feels. Yeah, like I don't you. care. It's your. It's your. But it's like it wasn't. It, it wasn't like beautiful, crisp HD. <laughs> but it. But it wasn't like terrible garbage quality either. It was like really good, and it was in full, and it was just there. So that's where I watched it. <laughs> Before we like, wrap, that's fine. I'm sorry. I want to yes, yes. ask Joanna. Yeah. Uh, I, yes, I want. Please. I want to ask Joanna what, like, what she thinks about you know my basic overriding, you know, kind of bugaboo of the whole year is like why were studio movies so much better and in the 80s than they are than they have been anytime since and i know this sounds fuddy-duddy-ish and i and i would hate it i would i i would hate hearing you know the older generation saying they don't make movies like the 40s and 50s and 60s anymore but i am confident that these are not necessarily better than your portrait of a lady's on fire for instance, but these are better than what comes out on a, on a for what, what studios put out. So I, I what I'm trying to say is obviously there are amazing movies put out every year, obviously, but they're all foreign, low budget, yeah. or ultra high budget. I and think it's just exactly what you talked about earlier, which is like it's a couple things um, that 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 fear that lack of originality, that insecurity that people have. But it's also, I think, um, been when you start to have the VCR and then you start to have cable and you start to have all these options for people to watch at home, then, you know, it's uh, just thinking about the number of people, when you look at the box office receipts of like some of these mid-level movies in the 90s and in the 80s, and you're like, oh my God, like I'm not imagining it. Everyone I know went to go see x y z and and you could never in a million years drag them to that now you know if it's not a big event they're not leaving their house and so i think like and so then it's just technology and changing models and and people whose job it is to make money off of art 
reacting from a place of fear uh, in response. You know what I mean? And it's only people who have like money to burn, like, uh, you know, Meg Ellison or stuff like, you know, that, that like can, can get away with um, being bolder. That's what I think. I don't know. What yeah. do you think? Can I also, I, I want to posit something and that I think also has something to do with it. I mean, I think TV has something to do with it as well yeah. in the sense that, you know, the, the the ability for a television show now to laser in on maybe a million people and say, right. like, I've got a million people and that's my fan base and I'm fine with that and I can survive for four, five, six seasons based on that allows for the spectrum of television to be so vast and the specificity of that audience to be such that movies, the only way that they can combat that is by doing the exact opposite, right? Which is trying to get as many people in the tent as they possibly can. And I think it's watering down what we're getting. Well, and, and also to try to be an event. Yes. That even your biggest screen and your most, your loveliest surround sound that you've established for yourself at home, because that's the other part of it, right? Is like the technology changing so that our, our home theater uh, viewing, you know, is close to, you know, the shittiest theater that's near me or whatever, you know what I mean? And so like in order to justify leaving for that, you know, larger ticket price for getting a babysitter or whatever it is, um, it has to be something that feels like must see on the big screen. And well, and know. I think to that point, I, I also think that, and I think this answers your, your question too, Kenny, of I, I don't think that the Chris Nolans of the world are doing anybody any favors either. You know, I, I think that he, I mean, I don't know if you've read his recent statement today that he made about Warner Brothers, but it was not kind um, after them deciding that 2021 would be streaming for all of their content. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, there's this idea that like change is bad and that no good can come from any sort of technological advancements. I don't think theaters are going anywhere, but this is all just a long way of saying that I think that the the people that are spearheading the the best possible versions of a studio movie that we could get right now are Chris Nolan and David Fincher. I really feel it at either end of the spectrum here. One guy who's fully embraced Netflix and is allowing, you know, is is all on board with that. And then another guy who, if he had his way, he'd force everyone to see his movies in IMAX. So, like, I, I don't well, know. I mean, I have a, you know, so this... I've always kind of been um, the opposite of, of, of who I am at this moment, which is I've always kind of been like embrace change, embrace technology, embrace, embrace the new and find a way to make it work. Yeah. Um, find a way to, to do the new thing with it. Right. And, um, and, and it kind of makes me upset that I'm this person now, like at this moment, but at this moment, I don't like the state of television and I don't like the state of movies. Um, I think that, I think, you know, to your, to your, to one of the first things you said, Phil was like, you know, this would be a TV show now or Joanna, you said that earlier. My response is, but it has to be a TV show, which means it has to be six to 12 to 22 episodes and that kind of commitment and it yeah. also has to be a TV show, which in general, like they don't do it for me the way movies do. Well, and, yeah. Um, so that that is a little upsetting. The the barometer for what makes or right, the bar for what makes a, a successful movie is too fucking high now, too. I agree. You can survive on a million a million views, which is true. I've been on shows where we only get a million viewers and you and you live and you live and you live. If you sell a million tickets, you're a big fucking fat failure. 
And like that yeah. is a horrible thing. For, it's a for, horrible yeah. thing. So yeah, go ahead, Jenna. Well, for me, like if you if you if you want to invite me onto my favorite soapbox, I will gladly stand at it, which is like the thing that I miss beyond the art, the the failure of the art, which is true. Like the the baker boys, the fabulous baker boys that don't exist because they can't get greenlit now. I am very regretful about that. Um, But more than anything, I'm regretful of the evaporation of the, the larger conversation in the monoculture of us all going to see a thing. You know what I mean? Like that, like, like I think diversity in the stories that we are served is huge, a huge benefit of peak TV and people watching more TV than ever. I think, as you say, like those niche audiences being served, there's a there's a benefit to that because they've been underserved in the past. And I think that that is really good. But it bums me out how um, how temporary so much of the so many of the stories that we watch feel even something that I think is like rock solid. Great. Like Queen's Gambit. Right. That, that um, Netflix had a hit with Queen's Gambit. A lot of people watched it. That's great. Are they going to remember it are they going to talk about it more and if everything becomes tv then you don't do the thing you did in 89 that i did in 89 which is rewatch something over and over and over and yeah. over and over again you know i'm not going to rewatch queen's gambit because that's like an eight-hour commitment or whatever that i don't have but if it were a two-hour movie that tells the same story albeit not as like in not a sprawling fashion yes i would love to rewatch the queen's gambit so, and so the lack of rewatchability the vapor that is so much yeah. of our television even the most popular like stranger things or you know, i hate to keep bringing it back to netflix but like like a netflix show that is on a binge schedule that people watch and they love maybe there's not as much there there as i would like but i can still like appreciate that it's fun to watch and like that the way that like goonies which is trying to be is and stuff like that but people people and i know this because i engage in my jobs in so much explainer culture people need massive recaps every time a new season comes out because they don't remember a single thing from the previous season and so you have to be like all right here's everything you need to know about the show that you already watched but i have to remind you because you have no fucking yep. idea because it's all vapor and you and, watch while looking at your phone yes exactly that too and so yes i also feel like a fuddy-duddy uh you know like uh like bow bridges trying to hang on to uh my lounge act when i'm I like wanna, I, what they used to be well, but so you know, i want to uh, so, yep, yep, yep. because I so I agree with everything you said that you're, you're like you're 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 getting at my heart right now one thing I want to add to it because I really bemoan the death of monoculture um not and and I, and I agree with you that we because of it we are we, back when we had fewer choices we had less we had, we had less diversity mm-hmm. those two things don't have to be mutually exclusive but right. we can but I understand that one thing that has happened now that drives me completely fucking nuts is with all of these choices, all this breadth from all of these streamers, you don't have to watch anything anymore that you don't completely love. And what we now have is a complete lack of diversity when it comes to criticism and opinions on the art. So there's no more there's no more discussion like the discussions we can have on this show because people don't even bother watching the stuff that's bad or the stuff that's middle or the stuff that's weird right. or controversial doesn't feel right to them or doesn't seem like a topic they want to engage in. You you so if you look at all these basically, you know the 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 the, the film Twitter thing where film Twitter loves this or film Twitter loves that or film Twitter feels this way about that thing. I don't really blame the critics for all loving the same movies. I blame the, the, the system 
for I blame the system for only giving critics a certain amount of movies that are that are worthy of their time, and no one's bothering with the two hundred movies that Netflix put out that they don't even acknowledge exists, for instance. So I think that's like, you know what I mean though? Yeah. And another big problem, and I'm so sorry, Phil, because I think either you're trying to like end the show or Listen, make a Listen, I will point. sit here and talk with but, you guys. I just, you know, I appreciate your time, Joanna. That's all. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I don't. Um, but no, uh, uh, honestly, and this is, this is, it feels tough to say because I have friends who work, really good friends who work there. A big problem for me in the way we talk about movies right now has to do with Rotten Tomatoes and the way in which criticism is flattened into a percentage rather yeah. than like uh, actually reading full reviews. You know, more often than not, like what used to happen is my sister and I, when we were like growing up and weirdos and like cared too much about films, we would pick our film critics and we would read them and we would either disagree with them or agree with them. But like, yeah. you know, Mick LaSalle, who wrote for the San Francisco Chronicle, we disagreed with everything he said, but we read all of his reviews because then we could just like calibrate our opinions opposite. And then we knew how sure. we would feel about a movie. Right. But like now I hear, you know, folks talk about reviews and they say, well, it only got this percentage on Rotten Tomatoes. And I was like, you don't know what that means. And you don't know what it's like to find a critic who you love and always agree with and like to oh. seek their opinion out and read their full length review. And like, honestly, from like a traffic point of view on 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 the old dot com here, like it's so hard to get people to read a film review that's not a scathing Richard Lawson takedown. You know what I mean? Like if it's not a if it's not a burn, like people don't want to read the whole thing. They just but want those to. Those are so good. You got to admit. Oh, it. Ca- caviar! It's delightful. But like, but you know that that flattens opinion too. When you talk about lack of diversity of opinion, that flattens opinions too. Because like even if people a few people disagree on something it's not going to register for people who are just looking at an aggregated score on Rotten Tomatoes. But sometimes also, which drives me nuts too, is they get shouted down, which isn't fun either. It's fun to engage. Like right. it's fun to understand. And that's why I'm, I feel like I'm the only person in the world who, who appreciates what Armin White does, but I appreciate what Armin White <laughs> does because I, be, be, because I find his reviews challenging. They, he's not a dummy. He is actively trying to dislike what you like and like what you don't, but right. he never approaches it from a way which is just like, um, which is which is just trolling. He tries to ground it in some kind of inane theory that I find interesting and challenging. Now, he would mean nothing to me if there were, uh, you know, forty critics and they had their own opinions and I could read every one like that. But uh, and and people didn't all agree that this movie was great or this movie wasn't. But um, yeah, something so, else. Sorry, go ahead. Um, I, I love you both, but my stop. roommate has just made dinner and okay. I need to go eat dinner. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to end this podcast. All right, I'm going to ask Jenner the last question, the same question I asked her last year, and she was on what's going to win this year. Last year, you said I won't tell everyone. I won't embarrass you. Uh, you know what you said. But um, what what do you think is going to win this year? What did I say last year? Knives Out. It was so cool. Oh, yeah, I loved. I loved it. It was the coolest thing. And by the way, it was a great movie. And you were, you know, you were more right than than wrong. But I hadn't. I didn't know about Parasite when I said that. So um, there you go. Parasite. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what's going to win this year? God, you I don't definitely, know. You definitely did know about Parasite, and you had already talked about it on the pod. But that's oh, just why. Damn it. Okay. But no one. But it had uh, no buzz. It had no buzz. <laughs> damn it. I mean. Yeah. Damn it. That's how I learned about that. it from your podcast. A parasite is tremendous. Anyway, uh, okay. Um, knives out. What a cute answer. Um, it's hard to know because, like, 
Um, Mank is not landing the way that anyone no. wanted it to land. I just don't know. It doesn't feel like anything has that right now. You feel like like some people haven't seen Ma Rainey. Like no, no, know, no. You know, I, like I, I think Ma Rainey's got Chadwick. Chadwick certainly has you know pole position locked up. Yeah, and I think Viola Davis has pole position locked up. I don't know if this stuff means anything right now, but in terms of if I had to put all my money on something, I would probably put it on Mank. Because I am buying into the whole Hollywood loves itself so much thing. It's okay. Go ahead. Yeah. I think you're probably right. Possibly. I think that staying in people's heads until perhaps mid to late February might be harder than you think. I think that Netflix still has a bunch of movies in the tank that they're going to release in January and February that I think are still going to, that are, in the hopes of getting Oscar consideration. I also think that Minari is apparently, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, yes. but I hear that's supposed to be unbelievable. It's so good. I really love it. I'm very excited to see that. Um, there's, there's a handful of movies that I'm, that I'm not ready to say. I just Minari, don't think Mank is landing, but Min- I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the only counter I would say to Mank not being like the next, the artist or something like that um, is uh, it is quite critical of Hollywood and the studio system. And so, so it's the artist. Uh, I guess I don't true. like the artist. Don't get me wrong, but I, the, the, artist, <laughs> the artist is not a love letter. That guy is like destroyed by Hollywood. That's it. But then like, there's that like triumphant ending where it's like, you know, also then redeemed by Hollywood. Yeah. Um, no, I, like you, you make a really compelling argument in terms of like, Hollywood loves itself too much. Hollywood That's for loves- sure. And I, and I would say that if ever there was a year for David Fincher to win, it's a year where there might not be an actual ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. And uh, and he can basically not do any of the general sort of Oscar kiss-ass stuff. Um, this would be that year. <laughs> I'll say, uh, I don't remember who it was, maybe Gold Derby, someone may, might have been Vulture, someone who you know keeps tabs on this stuff. For a while, uh, everyone had Mank 1, Ch- Trial of Chicago 7, 2, or the other way. Yeah. Trial of Chicago 7 will be lucky if it's nominated, where because people don't even talk about it anymore. Whereas, I, I think it's, I think it's going to get some nominations. It, it, I think it, it'll it, get a screenplay and stuff like that. But that might happen yeah. to Mank as well. I mean, once it again, might. in it ephemeral might. Netflix nothingness, totally. these things it's, just evaporate. You know what I mean? So it seems, but it seems to me, and I might be wrong. Again, this yeah. is the first weekend of Mank. It seems to me that that Mank is essential viewing for everybody in Hollywood in a way that Chicago Seven is just not. Uh, and I do think Chicago Seven is, is a little not of this moment. I do think, you know, the Aaron Sorkin movie about six white guys and a black guy fighting for racial justice is not quite of this moment. But I mean, yeah, they also they also wanted that to come out before the election. So that comes out in September, October, when I think it was mm-hmm. October, whenever it came out. People are not going to remember that movie in April. <laughs> like, it's just... Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, this might just be a repeat of the Shape of Water year, where like everyone in LA was telling me that everyone in LA was in love with that movie, and everyone in New York and me, were, and we were like, "What?" <laughs> I don't. Understand. I'm in LA. I still don't understand. I don't get it. I don't. Get I it. will never understand that one. All right, Phil. Um, I don't want to keep Joanna, you from your dinner. Yes. I want to say an enormous thank you for yeah. coming on to talk about the Fabulous Baker Boys for three hours. Three hours. hours. It was. Uh. It was. Tremendous. Um, Real and diamond moment for me to hang out, <laughs> hang out with you boys. Well, Are you I'm kidding? It's just, I don't have a brother. This is the closest thing I have to a brother right here. I don't, I don't have a brother either. And I uh, imagine I'm the closest thing you have a, to a brother. We work together and we were yeah. basically doing dual pianos every day. 
So this yeah. movie really hit close to home to me as well. But um, but Joanna, thank you so much for coming on, and and we really hope that you'll come back and talk about uh, please deep end of the ocean or something else, whatever Anytime. whatever it is. Yeah, well, thank you. For really appreciate it. All right, thanks, guys. Bye. Podcast like it, just podcast like it. Podcast like it's Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.